Oh, hello, friends. How's everything, huh? Hmm? Everything's great over here. Thanks for asking. I didn't even get through that without mumbling. Everything's great over here. Blah, 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 blah. The words don't come out of my mouth so good sometimes. JoeRogan.net forward slash tour is uh, the website that you can go to for all my stand-up comedy dates. I got a bunch of new ones coming up. Uh, I have in April, I have April 20th, the big 420 show uh, in Portland, Oregon. Almost sold out both shows. April 7th, uh, Shay's Performing Arts Center in Buffalo, New York. Almost sold out both shows there as well. Then the Verizon Wireless Theater on May 12th outside of Dallas, Texas. That's in uh, Grand Prairie, I believe. And um, that's uh, selling excellent as well. Very excited about all those things. Uh, You don't give a fuck how it's selling. If you want to get tickets, um, JoeRogan.net forward slash tour. All right. We are brought to you today by Movement Watches. Movement Watches, uh, W vmtwatches.com is uh, the website and what they do is they, they're doing that direct to consumer thing that a lot of smart companies have done now that the internet has emerged as a place where people buy a lot of shit now and because of that you can get an amazing deal on super stylish very nice really well constructed watches I wear them all the time and they start just 95 bucks at department stores you're looking at probably 400 to 500 dollars and by selling online, they, they cut out that retail markup, the retail middleman, and they can provide you with really high-quality watches at a fraction of what you'd pay anywhere else. Classic design, quality construction, and styled minimalism, over a million watches sold in over 160 cu- countries. And you can get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns by going to mvmtwatches.com forward slash Rogan. They're really clean, nice-looking watches, really well-constructed, and like I said, I wear them all the time. Somebody asked me the other day, is that a movement watch? I'm like, yes, it is, you fuck. Look at it. Look at it! Go to mvmtwatches.com forward slash Rogan again and get 15% off with free shipping and free returns. mvmtwatches.com forward slash Rogan. We're also brought to you by Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. See a trend here, folks? These smart companies, they're using things like podcasts to advertise excellent products that you get at a fraction of the price you would get at a retail establishment, but you get great quality. And that's what Casper mattresses, Casper premium mattresses do. And uh, this is the mattress that young Jamie Vernon sleeps on, on a daily. Not only that, they're risk-free. What do you mean risk-free? This is what I mean, you fucks. Free trial and return policy. You can try sleeping on a Casper for 100 days with free delivery to the U.S. and Canada and painless returns. Their mattresses feature supportive memory foam for a sleep surface that's got just the right of sink and just the right bounce. Ooh. And listeners of this podcast can get 50 bucks towards any mattress purchase by going to www.casper.com forward slash Joe and use the promo code Joe at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Hmm. We're also brought to you each and every episode by Onnit.com. That's O-N-N-I-T. Onnit is a total human optimization company and uh, we've extended that philosophy to an actual physical gym that is in Austin, Texas. It's an amazing gym with, uh, they serve food there, you fucks. 
They have a like a whole snack bar thing going on. They have outstanding classes, 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu, state-of-the-art equipment. Um, and there's an Onnit Academy link when you go to the website. That link will kind of establish what Onnit is about, what we're, what we're trying to do with the company. What we're trying to do is provide people with the inspiration, the motivation, the information to get your shit together, to optimize your time here on planet Earth, to move forward as best you can. That's what we're doing. And if you go to Onnit.com, check out all the different strength and conditioning equipment pieces that we sell, all the kettlebells and battle ropes and steel clubs. Check out all the supplements, all the hemp forest protein powder, grass-fed whey. we got so much groovy shit, I can't really cover it all in a podcast that doesn't annoy the fuck out of you, as if this wasn't, hasn't already annoyed the fuck out of you. But if you go to onnit.com, use the code word ROGAN, and you will save 10% off any and all supplements. Ha-ha. My God. That's it. Uh, this gentleman that I'm bringing on the podcast today, he's a financial guru, a very famous and wealthy man who uh, Tom Segura turned me on to. He's, he's kind of a hilarious guy, and he's lived, lived a pretty fucking crazy life. So give it up for Dan Pena. Joe Rogan Podcast. Check it out. The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day. Joe Rogan Podcast by night. All day. I just tell you that you are impeccably dressed in a very unique and uh, original way. Thank you. I mean, you dress really well, but I've never seen a guy dressed as well as you with such unusual colors and the tie and the shirt. And My wife dresses me. Does she? Yeah. She's trying to keep you from getting laid. That's what it is. Well, Sally, you did you fl- hear that? <laughs> <laughs> She's making you just look real flamboyant where people yeah. just don't know what to think. Yeah. I like the whole thing. The scarf. Thank you. You got in the pocket? Yeah. This, this is how I dress, though. Can you pull this uh, right up to oh, you? Sure. Sorry. These things are very directional. Um, if this you is how I dress. All the time? Yeah. I get it. Well, I mean, at the house, I uh, boxer shorts and a t-shirt. That's it? Yeah, in, in the house. And then outside? Outside, I'm normally dressed, dressed like up. this, or in my uniform, my three-piece suit. Yesterday, I gave a talk in Beverly Hills to some kids, and I was in my three-piece suit. What do you give a talk about? Uh, one of my mentees is a guy named Jason Capital, who is the, he doesn't say it this way, but he is the uh, preeminent expert how to get laid, uh, and he's got... Not quite as many followers as you do, but a million or a million and a half. Really? And it's just teaching people how to get laid? No, no, no. He doesn't build self-esteem. Oh. But I mean, but at the end of the day, all these little weenies want to get laid. <laughs> so he teaches them how to not be a little weenie anymore. Correct. How to Correct. man up or something. Yeah. And so I, I, he asked me if I'd talk to his... Uh, he's got different programs. You know, the guy, they sell, upsell, upsell, upsell. Right. His premier group... I talked to yesterday, so there's about 60, 70 guys who obviously must pay the most money to him monthly. Yeah. But he's got 40,000 people that pay him between 80 bucks and 3,000 a month. What? Yeah. That's insane. Fucking right. I know. And he's just teaching him how to be a man? Crap. Well, how did he learn how to be a man? How did I? How did he? Oh, um, his dad beat the fuck out of him, just like my dad beat me. Oh, well, yeah. that's what we need more, right? And Jason Kappel's <laughs> not, not, not his name. He's got a, uh, a uh, Polish name. He's from Detroit. Oh. But that's a big secret, that name. But, uh, but he's Jason Capital, And he's a good-looking, he's a really good-looking guy. He's, well, that helps if you want to get laid. Yeah, but and if you want to teach people how to get laid, that helps. Yeah, well, you can't really teach that, though. Like, you can't teach being a good-looking guy. Yeah, well, no. But I, I told the kids, um, when I was their age, I got, and I was single, and pre-AIDS, I got more ass than a toilet seat at a bus station. 
That's a lot. Yeah, but I did. <laughs> and last night, I had dinner with a buddy of mine who, unfortunately, he's got uh, Agent Orange now. He's, he's got uh, Agent Orange? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah he's, he's a war hero, Marine war hero from Vietnam. And he was one of the guys that I used to run around with. And uh, I brought back some of the memories. And his daughter's going, you mean you were a slut, Dad? Whoa. And, uh, and Shouldn't so talk so- like that in front of the young lady. Yeah, and then I was sorry I brought up the subject. Yeah, you can't do that in front of certain gals, especially today. Yeah. So- Man horns not appreciated anymore. No. No, no. So this guy is, uh, I can't believe people are paying $3,000 a month. What could he possibly be giving him for $3,000 a month? Well, uh, content of some sort, I've never looked at it, so I can't really tell you. Content. Yeah. I mean, content's the name of the game. Jamie, I need a mug, buddy. Sorry. Content is the name of the game, but three thousand seems like you'd have to come to your house and give you back rubs. <laughs> I mean, that's I a lot of that. fucking money, man. Yeah. That's like a mortgage. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Three thousand dollars a month. Yeah. Like, now, the eighty a month, I can probably... I can understand. Yeah, well, even that's a lot. Like, what is he giving you? Well, I mean, Netflix uh, is nine bucks. You can watch documentaries till your ears bleed. You know? Yeah, like, I've only turned my Netflix on a couple of times. The. Uh, it's 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 interesting, but yeah. So I was there, gave a talk. Uh, it ran over. I talked two and a half hours, and then I went out to the um, to uh, Valencia to see my buddy, that uh, the Marine guy, for dinner. And uh, the uh, took uh, three and a half hours to get to Valencia from Beverly Hills. Yeah, it's a ridiculous piece of traffic we have out here. Yeah, yeah. So, a set of a scene of traffic. It's pretty. Yeah. It's it's way worse than it was when I first moved here in '94, and I gotta wonder what it's going to be like 20 years from now. It's going to be insane. It's going to yeah. be. Well, then hopefully they'll have hover cars that dodge yeah. each other. Well, we were talking about that yesterday. We watched uh, some clips from Blade Runner, that yep. movie Blade oh, Runner. Oh, great, great flick. That was supposed to be 2019. Like that's only supposed to be two years from now. Isn't that really? crazy? I didn't realize that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Harrison Ford. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Daryl yeah. Hannah. Um, Rutger Hauer. Great movie. Yeah. Like one of yeah. my favorite all-time sci-fi movies. But yeah. hard to believe that that was supposed to be just a couple of years from now. Like people really overestimated the amount of technology we'd have by then. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, they overestimated that, but in some some things they underestimated. Like know. the internet, yeah. Correct. I mean, it's, when I first said 30 years ago, the two things to get involved in were healthcare and telecommunications, which morphed into the internet. I had no idea what the internet was going to be. Uh, you know, people measure rotates, returns on their investment and return on the minute, not return on the hour. I mean, right. or, the, or the month or return on capital because things can change, you know, in a few seconds. Well, how so, do you feel about that? I'm sorry to interrupt you, but how ahead. do you feel about that of a guy that's been an investor for as long as you've been? What do you, how do you feel about this new thing where they're using computers and algorithms to buy and trade? Like literally they, at the speed of sound, they're just click, 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 going back and forth depending on the trends. And they, they're, they're paying money to get a server that's as close as possible to the exchange so that they're, I mean, they're literally like ser- buying and selling in milliseconds. They're a, they're a millionth of a second ahead of everybody else because they're closer to the exchange. Yeah. I, I, I came up the old way. I don't really uh, – I appreciate the, the progress, but I don't like it because I, most people don't understand it. And like I was uh, tweeting this morning, uh, gold's down. Uh, oil broke uh, forty eight dollars a barrel or forty nine dollars a barrel, and uh, how has your four hundred one k improved? Uh, what are your gurus telling you to do now? The market's up, um, depending on how you want to measure, twenty twenty five percent since Trump got elected on the eighth of November, and hardly anybody's benefited. The guys that have benefited are the guys that drive the indices. Uh, he's created three billion, three trillion dollars, excuse me, in market cap 
on the on the just the New York Stock Exchange, uh, but most people haven't benefited because seventy to ninety percent, depending on how you want to uh, count uh, or calculate, uh, of that money is uh, big money, Rockefeller, Pena, Trump, etc. And so the average guy, the average Joe, didn't benefit. You know, uh, I, I I ask anybody listening, check your four hundred one k or your pension plan. Tell me how much it's up since November eighth. Most people say nothing. Nothing. So um, part of that is just what you're alluding to, the algorithms, because it's the f- fast big money that's making all the big money. Although hedge funds have fallen out of favor the last couple of years because their returns haven't been the same as even the indices. So your feeling, how do you feel about the, the things that Trump is doing right now and the way he's, uh, you know, he's, he's bringing on all these guys that have worked for these major corporations like Exxon and he's they're doing that whole thing that he announced the other day of creating 45,000 jobs in the, in the Gulf Coast. And like, if you look at it, um, there was a thing on the New York Times today, I think, that was talking about, maybe it was Time Magazine, was talking about he's created 239,000 jobs since he's been in office, which is, uh, what is it, a couple of months? Yeah. Not that long. So are you, from a business standpoint, forget about like socially, well, but let, from let, a business standpoint? Let me make a disclaimer first. Okay. I know Trump. Okay. And I knew him from the late 80s and the, um, and the early 90s because one of my partners and one of my mentors was Governor Hugh Carey, the former governor of New York. So because of his New York relationship and also one of my uh, ex-business partners was Mayor Wagner, the former mayor of New York. So I knew Trump then. So, but I haven't, I haven't talked to him in over 20 years. But getting back to your original question, um, the, um, I believe that as uh, – there's a reason why he's meeting with all the CEOs of all these uh, major uh, industries, because nobody else has ever done it. Uh, I believe, and as I endorsed him, I was one of the early endorsers of Trump. And I said that um, if he's serious, and he'll win. He knows how to win. He doesn't know how to lose. If he's serious, he's going to rock the fucking planet. Not just the U.S., but the world. And the financial uh, models are changing in Europe uh, not just because of Brexit. The financial models are changing uh, in Russia. The financial models are changing in, in, in China because they've got a guy, i got an alpha male in office that is surrounding himself with alpha males. It's no coincidence that 60% of his staff are ex-military. I mean, the press secretary is a goddamn lieutenant commander of the Navy, uh, you know, not counting all the four-star generals that he's got. Um, so he, I don't agree with everything he says. I don't agree with everything he tweets. I wouldn't tweet as many, much as he does. But I do agree that the country needs a change, financial change, and he's going to bring it. Now, whether he gets elected a second term or not, I don't know. But I do believe, and I've said, Joe, that this is the, November the 8th was the beginning of the greatest transformation of wealth the planet has ever fucking seen since World War II. How so? Because, well, I mean, just look at $3 trillion so far in stock market. I believe it's going to be $100 trillion He's going to add to the market before he leaves does, office. Please explain to a dummy like me. How well, does you're that not work? A dummy, but How anyway. does that happen? Okay. Okay. Uh, Caterpillar, even though they got in some trouble for taxes, they got raided uh, here a couple of days ago. You mean Caterpillar? Not what are the, is that? The Caterpillar, they make tractors. Right. Okay. Okay. The infrastructure shot in this country. Okay. Uh, the bridges are all 40, 50, 60 years past their prime. Okay. I didn't know a bridge could go past its prime. Uh, The roads are 50, 60, 70 years past their prime. Uh, The infrastructure for pipelines are past their prime. So he's going to rebuild all this. He's going to spend supposedly uh, $3 trillion uh, 
um, which is not a coincidence because he, he added $3 trillion to the stock market. But he's going to add infrastructure. So all the stocks like Caterpillar, AT&T, uh, Boeing, etc., cetera, have uh, gone up 15 20 25 30% since he got elected because the big money, the smart money, uh, knows that those companies are going to get all the contracts. The, the real no-brainer is aerospace. Aerospace, not just because he cut the um, cost of uh, Air Force One down seven hundred million or whatever he did, but because he's going to bring the United States military back to what it was under Reagan thirty years ago. Um, and being a vet myself, uh, I believe a strong country. Uh, I think we get involved in too much shit outside the country. Okay, but I mean a strong country, then nobody's going to you know uh, screw with us. He's going to bring back jobs. Uh, I believe he will build a wall. And my mother and grandmother swam across the Rio Grande River as illegal aliens in 1924-25. My, my mother, God rest her soul, we were just out to the cemetery a, a couple of days ago, um, the, uh, wasn't a naturalized citizen until she was in her early 30s. So, um, the, um, but I figured out a way to pay for the wall. And yours is the first show I'm going to say it on. Okay. Okay. They arrested Guzman. The great drug trafficker. Right. From, okay. They also confiscated $39 billion from him. Did they really? He had 30, $39 billion? billion. Whoa. Okay. 39. It's Hashtag better than have podcasts. I mean. Yeah. Okay. good. So why not pay for the wall with his money? Yeah, that's probably a good idea. But do you think that a wall is uh, feasible and it's a good idea to have this I, big fucking- I, I know it's feasible, but, I don't, uh, but I'm, a, I'm a guy that I would rather pull the trigger- and see if it works, then not do anything. The biggest difference between most of the kids that are out there trying to be successful like yourself and some of the other people you've interviewed here is they spreadsheet at the death, they read books, they listen to podcasts, and they never do a fucking thing. Mm. Okay? I've had kids come to my seminar that have read 700 books on personal development. Yeah. I didn't know there was 700 books on personal development. Okay? But they've never pulled the trigger. Paralysis by analysis. Correct. Yes, sir. Yeah, that can definitely happen. Yeah. That can definitely happen. Yeah, and, and the, uh, like the kids yesterday, they'd all read books, and I don't even know what the, the charm books are. I, I have no idea. There's actually a program called The Art of Charm, which is the same thing, how to get laid. That's not what they call it, but it's, it's a deal. It is exactly what it is, right? Uh, yeah, well, that's, I've looked at it, and I've actually been interviewed on the, on the kids' show. That seems to me like saying something like, uh, how to get famous. Instead of like just get really good at something and Correct. you get famous, like how to get laid. Well, just be a, an excellent person and people want to fuck you. Yeah. That's what I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I, I, I proved that for a lot of years. Did uh, you? Yeah, I you did. You rascal. Yeah. Look at you. But I mean, uh, pre, pre-AIDS. Pre-AIDS. Yeah, that's when you slowed down. Well, no, I got married. down a notch. I got married. <laughs> <laughs> I got married. Yeah, everybody was scared. People don't know today. Kids aren't scared of AIDS anymore. But back in the 80s when Magic Johnson got AIDS, I will never forget where I was in my car when he got HIV, rather, when they announced it on the radio. I was driving in my car. I was like, oh, my God. It was like a scene in a zombie movie where mm-hmm. you thought this was the beginning. This was the first one. And then eventually it was going to spread across the entire country and everyone you knew like was going to be dead. Yeah, we were really worried. Yeah. We were really worried. Were you single then? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, was, I think I was 20. Were you a stand-up comic then? Yeah. Yeah, just well, it was twenty one, I, I, I think. Because I, 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 I know I just that I, in my research, um, the, one of the things I saw was when I don't know if you were a teenager when you were in, in a competition and you knocked a guy cold in the first ten seconds or two minutes or one minute. It's on the it's on the the internet uh, mm. competition you were in. I think you were still a teenager, maybe. I don't know. Probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The Taekwondo tournament. Yep, I, yep, yeah, I yep. fought a lot of that stuff. Yeah, from... yeah. And um, the, um, but I mean, you practice a lot to get good. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, you have to. It just doesn't happen. Well, you don't. Yeah, you have to actually do it too. It's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, you, know, you can read theory all you want, but until you got theory is one thing, and thoughts are another thing. But actions are critical. You have to th- think about what happened during the actions and be prepared to fail. Dalai Lama at his 80th birthday, which I was not invited to. Maybe you Damn. were. You weren't invited? Year. No, no, no. The Dalai, he made a, a little speech, and at the end of the speech, he's got a sentence: Meditation is great, prayer is great, a couple other things are great. But the best thing is taking action, action, action. Yeah. Okay. And uh, the um, and so and this is what I uh, I teach and uh, the uh, is to take action and uh, I've done a, I had had a lot a lot of success but I've had a, a lot of failures but nobody's interested in my failures they're only interested in the uh, you know the uh, times I've got it across the goal line. Well, Tom Segura is a huge fan of yours and that's how I found out about you. He's Tom a good Segura. Kid. He thinks you're hilarious. He thinks yeah. your, your your ruthless approach to coaching people and advice <laughs> is pretty fucking funny. Yeah, I mean, uh, when I had lunch with him a, a few days ago, uh, I, I think I told you on the phone, I was expecting he and his wife to be keeping me uh, rolling in the aisles. They were straight. They were like uh, they preachers. Dressed. They, they were, dressed in a suit. Yeah, yeah, they were like preachers. Look at him. He looks like preacher man. He, I, he does. He looks like he easily could be some sort of a pastor with his beautiful tie. Look how yeah. slim he is, too, now. Yeah. Tom Segura kept the weight off. Amazing. Yeah, that's great. He's lost like 60 pounds or really? something crazy like that. Yeah, yeah. I'll be yeah, down. they yeah. had a competition with his friend Burt Kreischer, and they did it over two days on the show. Like, they weighed in twice in a row, and Tom, Tom won the weigh-in both days. Yeah. It was a big deal. It was a big deal for him to... I really think he lost more than 50 pounds, which is pretty impressive. Well, a few years ago, uh, 10, 12 years ago, I, I decided at 60 that I was going to become a power lifter. Really? I don't know what possess, possessed me. So I gained uh, 65 pounds. I took human growth hormones. I did the whole nine yards. Uh, and I got up to 280. Jesus Christ. And, um, and then uh, I was trying to get up to 300, but I couldn't get up to 300 pounds. Wayne. <laughs> I tried like hell. I mean, I ate everything. I'd eat everything on this table. Metal, I didn't care. Uh, and then I realized, uh, and then uh, I also don't have the, uh, the, the right bone structure. And so um, I decided that uh, there were certain things I could only do so much weight. So I was doing bench presses with my son. Uh, at that time, he was uh, 28. And uh, we were doing sets. And um, I heard this rip in my bicep. But I kept working out. But what I had done is I ripped my long head bicep. And so, um, the, but one of the reasons they call me the bionic man, because I just had two knee, full knee replacements in the last couple of months. I've got an artificial hip. Oof. I have artificial shoulders. Oof. I have a titanium collarbone. Oof. And I don't have any long head bicep. And so, uh, these what are all. A, what's a long head bicep? You have three bicep muscles. Right. It's the, the one that makes the hump. Right? You it's don't have that one? One across the top. No, I don't have that one. So uh, yours just goes flat when you yeah. flex? Well, uh, yeah. But now my muscles go flat anyway because I don't work out like I used to. But you could have uh, got that repaired. You chose oh, not no, to. Oh, I know. I got it repaired not once, as they say in Texas, not once, not twice, but three times. And I fucked them up all three times. How'd you Be- fuck it up? You kept lifting? Yep. You're lifting an too early. Look at you, you maniac. Too, too At early. 60. Power at 60. Lifting. Yeah, power lifting. How long is too early? Uh, how quick was too early? Um, two months. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, you can't do that. Well, like in my knees, they told Wish me to we wait a friends. year before I had you. the second knee done. Yeah. I waited 10 weeks. They oh. were right and I was wrong. Yeah, I would imagine they would be right and you would be wrong. Yeah, yeah. So now I, uh, when I get up from here, you'll see I, I get up gingerly. So like when they build you an artificial knee, does it, do they chop off the top yeah, of your knee and they, screw they it in the place? Top, the top and the bottom, yeah. the femur, and then they put, it's like a joint like this, and then mm-hmm. it has these like spikes 
that go into the bone marrow and they cement them. Oh, Jesus. But what they didn't tell, tell me is, see, your knee goes like this, moves both ways. Well, my knees only go this way. It goes so up I, and down. It so I had to relearn how to put my socks on. Because when you put your socks on, your leg swings over. You can't swing your leg over. No, no. So there's so, no sideways movement. Correct. Oh, right. Jesus Christ. That seems like it would be severely limiting, right? Yeah, well, it is. Well, uh, the, uh, I, I, I don't think I'll be... Uh, when you, In martial arts, you say, we're going to roll? Is yeah, that how you, you won't be rolling. I won't be rolling. Now, did you, did you have ligament damage or meniscus damage? Yeah, like, I was... had three surgeries on my right knee for the, all the above, and I mm-hmm. had one surgery on my left knee. Why did they uh, decide to replace the entire knee? Because I had no cartilage left. I was bone mm. on bone from running tens of thousands of miles. I, when, I went to um, a, a biohack... A couple of years ago, I didn't even know what that meant, biohacking. Yeah. And I went to the biohacking and all the guys, and, uh, and I met a guy I really like, Decina was there, a guy named Decina. And uh, the, um, um, all these things I'd been doing since the 70s. I ran 100 miles in, in, in piss blood, which used to be the benchmark if you were a man and a runner. You run 100 miles and you piss blood. That's okay. that makes you a man. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, that's what that, that's that. Then it did. And Only I, then can you breed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, I've you know I've run marathons and I've run a lot, a lot of miles, and uh, my knees paid for it. So I haven't really been able to run in twenty years. Have you ever looked at uh, stem cell therapy for it? Uh, been- yes, I have. As a matter of fact, I'm going to Mexico oh. in a couple of months. I tried it twenty five years ago uh, when it first came out in Switzerland. They're doing it here now. You know, oh, you don't well, have to go to Mexico. No, well, I didn't know they were doing. Yeah, anything. yeah. I'll, I'll talk to you after the show. Okay. I'll send you. There's a great place in Vegas. Yeah, that they're uh, they're doing it, but they've been able to regenerate meniscus tissue, cartilage, all, all sorts of things like that. It's a uh, it's a slow process, but it can be done now. Okay, but well, it seems like yours are mine, replaced mine are anyway. Gone. Now, uh, can you like play tennis? Can you move around? Can you go side to side? I, I can go this way. Straight? I can't move this way. Oh wow. I you, can't move that way. You couldn't tell while you're walking. You no, walk no, I walk, I walk around. It's, you know, um, as Fernando Lamas, the great actor, said many years the ago, what? it's better, Fernando Lamas. <laughs> I know he is. Okay. Uh, <laughs> he says it's better to look good than feel good. Well, he's, I don't know if he's right. He was married to Esther Williams. Yeah, I think he's wrong. I think he's definitely wrong. I think you're better off feeling good than looking good. Because if you look good and you feel like shit, you'll live in hell. But if you look like shit, but you feel fantastic, as long as no one's looking at you and you're not freaking <laughs> out, what do you care? Right? Yeah. I think he's wrong. So um, your knee and your hips, like, what, what did the hip, did they saw the top of your hip off too? Do the same yeah, thing? Yeah, same thing. Oh, Jesus. So you've got a, the top of your femur and the bottom of your femur are sawed off. Legs. <sighs> Jesus, Dan. You kill a bear yep. with, with a knife? Uh, I slowed it down with a handgun and then I killed it with a knife. What a big bowie knife. What was going on? Bear was trying uh, to kill you? In, in the, um, well, let me just say, I have three regrets in life. Um, it, it leads into this. The segue will become obvious. First regret is a, uh, the, the day before my mom died, I told her, you're not fucking sick. You're not fucking sick. You're not going to die. She dies Whoa. the next day. Okay. Second regret I have is the fact that uh, I'm a combat-trained Army officer who never saw combat. Okay. Never got any real trigger time. Okay. Uh, the third regret is that I didn't set my goals high enough, as successful as I am. Okay. So because uh, I, I, I tried to get involved with mercenary things uh, uh, when I got out of the military about 10 years because I had done, done very well as far as business was concerned. And um, the, um, But the, the, I actually did a joint venture with the CIA. It's all public record now, and my statute of limitations passed, so I can't get in any trouble. And uh, that didn't work out, so I decided I'm going to go do big game hunting. I see if I can, you know. So I started with rifles. 
I know some guys do bows. I believe you do. Uh, then I that was too easy. Then I uh, did a handgun. 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 Four five four console used to be the biggest handgun made twenty five thirty years ago. So I hunted handgun. And you got to get pretty close. Handgun. How close do you get? Um, well, I've been as close as you. To what? To the, the charging buffalo. Oh Jesus Christ! A buffalo was charging this close, and you shot it with a handgun. Yeah, I got run over by him. Oh. Well, so like, well, uh, let's well, get back to the bear. So, but the handgun, like, do you trying to get inside of twenty yards? Like, how close? Oh are you yeah, trying to get? well, it depends how good a shot you are. Right. But I mean, they're effective at uh, fifty yards, but uh, the accuracy is not so good. At right. Fifty yards, but twenty yards is pretty good. Twenty meters. So um, the um, so we're chasing this bear down right on the borderline of Alaska and whatever the Canadian province is up there, and um, the I get within about 50, 40, 50 yards of him. And uh, then he turns around because he says, why am I running? You know, he asked himself, why am I running? And he turns around and I hit him a couple times uh, with the 454. And now he knows. So then he runs again. And so I chase him some more. And to make a long story short, uh, by the time I unloaded all five, because it only has five shells, he's, he's, he's wounded. He would have died probably in an hour or two hours, but he's still, you know, dangerous. So then I jumped on him and uh, stabbed him 70, 80 times. Jesus Christ, Dan. 70 or 80 times? I don't remember because the adrenaline's pumping so, so hard. The, the hunter guide said my arm looked like a, um, a jackhammer. It was going up and down so fast. But I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm just jacked up. And where are you stabbing him? What part um, of his body? I, I stabbed him in the chest, around the head, the neck, in here. I was and, trying to hit a main artery. And is he trying to bite you while oh, you're doing Oh, yeah. This? He's with the big claws, you know, but I'm staying under the claws and he's losing coordination. He could have got me, but he didn't. He didn't. Jesus Christ. What but, kind of, is this a brown bear or a black bear? Brown. But the better story is the buffalo. Now, you, how, he, how do you get a better story than you maniacally, homicidical, homicidically, <laughs> homicidally stabbing a brown bear to death? No, I, I, just, I, uh, I, I went to Australia. There, You saw the movie Crocodile Dundee. Yes, I did. Okay, well, there's a real crocodile Dundee. His name was Barry Lees. So I went down there to hunt with him in Australia for uh, 10 days. And uh, again with a handgun, and um, he said, "I said I want to take, I want to get a big bull, a big bull, uh, like a water uh, buffalo." Uh, well, yeah, exactly. And he said, "Okay, well, we have to go into a certain part of Australia near Darwin, up in the north." And he said that um, I can't promise he's still going to be there, but there's a big pond about four or five times as big as this room, and he should be there in the late afternoon, scratching his back on the roots overhanging. So we got got there. We hiked in four or five hours, and he was there just like he said he was going to be there. And he said that um, uh, you want him. You not just don't want to just shoot him in the back. No, I want I want him charging me. So he says, "Okay, wanted, I want to." Wait a minute. You wanted him to charge yeah, you? Yeah. Why did you want that? I never saw combat. But why? Why is that so important to you? Like what Maybe, is, well, it just is. So just in your mind, you needed to be. I'm not fulfilled. You need to experience. Wow, life and death. Uh, yep, it had to be like life and death combat. Correct. And if it wasn't with the enemy, it was with uh, some charging beast. Correct. Wow. Correct. So he throws pebbles at him. He spins around and he says he won't come out this way because it's too far for him to jump and he's not. He can't jump that high. Just like magic, that goddamn bull jumped 15 feet in the fucking air, spun around and ran right at me. So about where you are. As he ran over me and I fell back, I shot once and I hit him through the chin, went out his nose, but it missed his brain. He put one 
hoof on my hip, and that's why I had to get a hip eventually, and one hoof on my left knee. So arguably, that's why I have a left knee. So I felt like a train hit me. So he, he keeps running. I get up. I'm dusting myself off. So I've shot one out of five bullets. So I say, well, I gotta, I'm going to kill this bastard. So I'm chasing him in the jungle. With a blown-out knee and a blown-out hip? Correct. I'm, I'm chasing him in the jungle. And the, um, the guide, Barry Lees, is yelling, Dan, I can't hear him, though, because I'm all pumped up. Dan, Dan, he's screaming at me. So I get close to him. I shoot a couple time, more times. Then I shoot a couple more times. And then the bull gets tired. He spins around, just like in the movies, and decides to charge from about that wall. And just as he got about to where that chair is, I fired again. Click. I'm empty. Oh, no. And he falls dead at my feet from the other times I hit him. Jesus Christ. And so, but what Barry Lees was yelling at me, he says, you're fucking empty. You're fucking empty. He was telling me I had no more bullets left. Wow. But I couldn't hear that. Now, when you get in, 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 in a contest martial arts, does, do you go into automatic? Yeah. Yeah, you have to. You really, you, you think very little while you're in there. You're supposed to be, I mean, you have, when you separate a little bit, you sometimes you have time to think about what you're going to do, but most of it is you're relying on your training and your conditioning. Well, I hear you when you're announcing uh, those deals uh, about uh, there's some guys that are really in good condition, that, you know, they're animals or beasts, and uh, the it seems to me that that's one of the telling things if you run out of gas in the second third or fourth round you're screwed yeah well there's different styles of fighting too there's some guys who just they sprint and they can blow you out in the first couple of rounds but if they get into the third fourth and fifth round they significantly diminish their output and that's uh some some guys have strategies like to weather the storm you just have to figure out a way to weather certain fighter storms and take them into the second and third round like there's a guy like Hector Lombard is a famous uh, um, MMA fighter. He was a champion in other organizations. He's a scary, scary guy. And for one round, he might be the scariest motherfucker in the division. He's terrifying. He's built like a brick shit house. He comes at you fast and hard, but he's so muscular and so strong, and his output is so explosive and kinetic. He's not like a rhythmic, slow, technical, methodical fighter. He's a sprinter. And so after that initial sprint, it's, he's not the same in the second and third rounds usually. Does he win? Sometimes. He wins a lot. I mean, he's a world-class fighter for sure. The guys I like were the Diaz brothers. Oh, yeah. Well, they're, they're, they're the opposite. Yeah. They're, they're guys who just, they just come at you and they can throw volume for days. They don't ever get tired. Those guys can go on and on and on and on and on. They break people with their pace. Yeah. And, and the, um, when he beat, uh, the older one, I guess, beat McGregor. No, the younger yeah, one, actually. The younger it's one? Nate. Okay. Yeah, okay. Nate okay. is the younger one. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a great fight. It was a f- yeah. fun fight. The second fight was fun too. Yeah, yeah. So you, so from not having combat experience in the war, you had like this real desire, combat. Yeah. R- real combat experience. You had this desire to put yourself in danger and Correct. to test yourself. Yeah, I wanted to see if I was going to live or die. So that's why you decided the next way to do this is to do it with uh, a water buffalo. Now, you were talking earlier about mercenary work. Like, what kind of, what kind of mercenary work are you in, talking in, about? In the early 80s, I had the privilege of being mentored by Konstantin Grazos, who was the chief executive of Onassis Shipping Line, the 60-year right-hand man of Aristotle Onassis. He was one of my mentors. And um, the, um, he, the Vatican, the CIA... Uh, Amel DeMarcos and, and a guy named Talaveras of Mobile Oil, the CEO, uh, came up with an idea that they were going to invade Haiti, just like Clinton did 12 years later. 
okay? And um, for all different reasons. Onassis wanted the shipping of the oil. Uh, Mobile wanted the oil. Uh, the Vatican wanted more Catholics. CIA wanted to have them not be a baby uh, Dr. Valier communistic. He didn't want the communists right at the, at the near Florida. And I don't know what the fuck Imelda was there for, but, you know, I, she wasn't buying shoes or anything, but she was there. And uh, I was put in charge of that project uh, by uh, Mr. Grazos. And, uh, the, and we put together a mercenary army. And we had some of the, the great mercenaries, a guy named uh, Mike Williams, one of the great mercenaries of the 70s and 80s. And uh, just as we were going to launch the attack and land with boots on the ground, uh, Cyrus Vance, Secretary of State, pulled the plug on the deal. Hmm. But I was going to come out of a helicopter just like Schwarzenegger does. By the way, you can't hold those big guns. Even Arnie can't. The way they do it, they're too heavy. But anyway, I was going to be the the first feet on the ground. And then when that thing fell to shit, I said, well, maybe I'm just not meant to see combat, you know. Wow. So it was something that was really important to you. Yeah. But was it important to you because you didn't know how you would fare or because you knew how you would fare and you wanted to test yourself or you just wanted I, experience? I was almost 100% positive I knew that I had balls and I wouldn't, you know, weenie out. But until you do it, you don't know for sure. Growing up as a kid on the hood and being arrested five times and all the trouble I got you in. You grew up in the hood? Yeah. What hood? East L.A. Did you really? Yeah. That's hilarious. In fact, we were just over there. I like to go to the hood two, three times a year just to, to see it again. And so I went from the Jonathan Club, where I'm a member, mm-hmm. to the hood. And uh, the, with my same driver I've had many years. And uh, we took one of my mentees, who's also from the hood, Cambodian kid. Because the Cambodians drove the Mexicans out of my portion of the hood. And so I went back to the hood, and he went to the same grammar school I did, Rota Street. He went to the same Catholic church I went to. Now, uh, for your audience, nobody believes this, but I used to teach catechism. I used to teach Bible study because I wanted to be a priest. You wanted to be a priest? When I was a little kid. Whoa. Yeah, and so uh, the, uh, it's hard to believe, but I did. But maybe all little Catholic boys, when they're 10, 12, 13, want to be priests. Maybe not, but I did. So uh, when... Um, well, I got in a lot of trouble when I was in the uh, fifth, sixth grade. I dropped an aquarium, and it's on my set. I pointed a picture from the second floor. I dropped an aquarium on my teacher's head from the second floor. And if he hadn't moved six inches, we wouldn't be sitting here. I would have gone to San Quentin. I would have gone ju- juvie, blah, 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 and I would have had a different life. So but he, he moved, moved, and I only broke his, I only shattered his shoulder and oh, fucked Jesus him up. Oh, Jesus Christ. But I, uh, that's not the worst thing I did in school. I was expelled Three times before I got out of grammar school. What? Yeah. Grammar school? Grammar school. What'd you do? Well, I did that to the teacher. They expelled you for how long? Uh, three weeks. And then you come back and the yeah, teacher's and still then, fucked then, up. Yeah, and then another guy. Uh, sorry? Screwing, no, I didn't say sorry. Uh, another guy, another guy <laughs> uh, in, in, in the school. Did you feel sorry? No. I, I, don't, I didn't try to kill. I really didn't. That wasn't in my mind. How old were you at the time? I was 11, 12. So why were you doing that? Uh, he pissed me off, obviously. I don't really remember why. I know I dropped the goddamn aquarium, though. That's a given. So another guy, I got in a fight with a guy and I knocked him down. And uh, I was the biggest guy in grammar school. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't. How do you remember big... that you were the biggest guy in grammar school? Because, <laughs> I'm a, because I was the tallest. Oh, okay. Tallest guy it. in grammar school. Okay. And uh, so some other guy came up and I got in a fight, knocked him down. And apparently he broke his uh, elbow when he fell down. And the kid says, you broke my arm, you broke my arm. And then I did, I went over and I, uh, I broke his arm in six places for real after that. Now you, know, you got a mean, broken arm, mean asshole. Mean little fucking kid. 
Uh, yeah, I guess I was. So do you you think that this is from growing up in the hood, just being in the, well, the dog-eat-dog environment? Yeah. I'm positive it was. Yeah. And so that led you to really want to test yourself in the military. Correct. Wow. Correct. And when you look back on all that stuff and all that intense aggression and all those thoughts, did you... Did you take anything out of that that you carry with you as an Absolutely. older man? Absolutely. Uh, well, I'm a kinder, gentler Yeah, you now. seem like a real nice guy. Yeah, I am. Uh, but I, I've, I've turned that aggression into uh, success in business. What about peace and calm? Do you have that uh, too? I don't meditate. I don't do any of that stuff. Um, but do you feel good? Do you feel like I, I feel like Twisted Steel and Panther Piss. Ooh, I mean, Twisted Steel and Panther Piss is an odd combination to feel like. Well, that's a Texas oil field. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I just visited uh, one of my buddies uh, from the war who's unfortunately got uh, Agent Orange. Yeah, you were telling me that. Like, So what are the effects of Agent Orange? Well, is as you gentleman? get older, your immune system breaks down. Uh, and the Agent Orange that you had latent in your system now starts to come out. Like, what is it? How's it uh, Well, I mean, itself? he's lost 40 pounds. This guy, I saw him pick up a Corvette when we were kids. And now he has trouble getting up steps. Wow. So, yeah, Agent Orange is some scary shit, wasn't it? Yeah. It, it, could, it was an exfoliant, right? Or Correct. defoliant, defoliant that they sprayed on the jungle in Vietnam where all these soldiers were down there in it. Crazy, crazy yep. shit that they just experimented on those kids. Yeah. And yeah. that's just, you know, again, folks, don't forget, that was 50 years ago. Yeah, it I mean, long it's, ago yeah, yeah, we, I mean, the, the, every, everything, it's like I sat next to McNamara when he was C- president of the World Bank, who was one of the fathers of the Vietnam uh, War, and uh, he was a weird dude. I mean, uh, uh, and uh, he, uh, he said that uh, the world is going to end in the uh, apocalypse, and it's going to be the haves against the have-nots someday. He says, hopefully, you know, you you won't be around when that happens. Uh, and um, the uh, he says, there's certain problems on the planet that are never going to get solved. And he talked about the Israeli Middle East problem. He says, yeah. He says, um, they we have had, um, at that time, two holy wars. Um, and you could argue that this is just an extension of the holy war, what's happening. And he says, it, 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 we didn't work... It out seven hundred and seven hundred A.D. and we didn't work it out in eleven hundred A.D. and we're not going to work it out this time. And so he was kind of um, a negative guy. Class was half empty instead of half full. What do you think? I don't think we're going to work it out there either. No. I've been in partnership with the Israeli government. I've been in partnership with the Kuwaiti government, the Yemen government, and a couple others there. And um, it, it's just—it's a bridge too far. I just don't see it happening. I just don't. And why is that? Uh, well, I mean, for the, from the Muslim point of view, uh, and they have the right to practice whatever religion they want. But it's an 8th, ninth century religion in the 21st century. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's not socially acceptable. You talk about politically correct, a lot of the stuff they do it transcends being politically correct. I mean, um, and uh, I don't think that's going to change. I just don't. Uh, I hope I'm wrong. So you think that the way they... Like, for instance, the way they treat women, the way they won't let women drive, the way they make them wear the, their religious... How do you say burka. it? Burqa. Hajib, yeah. Yeah, the burqas. Yeah, well, so you think that that's just going to stay the way it is forever? In my lifetime, in your lifetime, maybe... Maybe 100 years may, from now. May, maybe. Sort of like comparing Christianity from the Inquisition to today. Yeah. Like, so they need, it needs to somehow or another catch up. Yeah, and, and maybe 500 years it will. Hmm. For the planet's sake... I think we haven't been, uh, um, aliens haven't come to this planet because they look at us, we're all fucked up. 
Is that what you think? Yeah. Do you, well, do you why, contemplate this? Yeah. I, this, really? This, this, this you is ever when, sit around you smoking a, a cigar with a glass of scotch going, we're the fucking aliens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Come you over know, here, I want to shoot you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think they're interested. What are we going to give, what are they going to learn from us? Well, I would be absolutely fascinated if I found a group of chimpanzees that had figured out how to make fire with sticks and were building structures and were starting some sort of uh, an organized war against other chimpanzees. Uh, I would be absolutely fascinated if they had weapons and they were sneaking up on these other chimps and using spears. I'd be like, "Holy shit! Look at this! This is us a long time ago." Well, and it, I would imagine that aliens would feel the same way about us. Well, I mean, except that they're probably a million years advanced, maybe or maybe a hundred years advanced. Well, if they're a hundred years advanced, I think they would have come down and seen us. Maybe they're not ready yet. Yeah. Well, maybe a hundred uh, years from now we won't be ready to go to other planets, but maybe someone out there is just a little bit more advanced than us and they're watching. Well, uh, the uh, Elon Musk wants to die on Mars. That motherfucker's ridiculous. Okay, he wants to die on Mars. With an electric and, car. Yeah, and the... Uh, uh, do you know when the first electric car was, Joe? Yeah, a long time ago. It was in the early 1900s, no, right? 1860s. Was it really? Okay. If Damn. we really wanted electric cars... It was the first car for 20, 30 years. Mm. Had if we really wanted electric cars, don't you think we could have developed them by now? Well, we definitely should have, but the influence of the uh, fossil fuel companies. Correct. Yeah. And do you know why Aramco is going public, the uh, uh, national company of uh, Saudi Arabia? No. Okay. You're going to hear it first here. Jesus, I can't believe okay. this. Okay. They're selling 2% of the company, not because they need money, because they've got all the money in the world. They want, because when you go public, you have to have a reserve report. The reserve report is going to show how many barrels they have. Mm -hmm. Proved producing, proved, unproved. And we've been guesstimating for years and years and years that Aramco's got a couple hundred million barrels, maybe three, four, five hundred million barrels, billion barrels, excuse me. That report's going to show they have trillions of barrels. And there's no fucking way they're ever going to let fracking electric cars, or anything else. When they're out of their trillions of barrels, then they're going to let electric cars come to mm. pass. So you think like all these oil crisis warnings and all the, the talk about them running out of oil in places is all bullshit? Yep. 100%. 100. What do you think oil is? Okay, well, let me back up a second. In August 2014, I was on a, a, a not a show as prestigious as yours, but it's some other guy's show, and I said when oil was $120 a barrel, we will see $40 oil before we see $200 oil. I'll bet both of my testicles. Oh, strong bet. Okay. In February last year, oil hit $26 a barrel. Today, it's 48 Wow. Now, there's a whole bunch of reasons why I know that. Having done business in the Middle East, knowing Aramco's got hundreds of trillions of barrels, knowing that when the, uh, the king of Saudi Arabia passed away about a year and a half ago, and his brother, who's uh, considered not... Um, is uh, sh bright as his brother, half brother died, and who hates Americans uh, allegedly, and who is sick and tired of hearing about fracking, that we're going to end the frackers forever. And so they, and there's no way. Of, uh, see, OPEC is great, except there's no accountability. There's only two countries in the world that actually adhere to OPEC: Canada, uh, three countries: Canada, the U.S., and the U.K. Everybody else cheats. How so? They, 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 they produce as much oil as they want. So what is, uh, OPEC has regulations on how much oil you can produce? Correct. 
And why do they have those regulations? Because to, to they, cap the market. Correct. So they don't drive down the price of the market. So now what they're doing with fracking is they're making oil in America so readily available that this what they're doing in the Middle East is dropping the price down low so that the fracking's not worth doing. Correct. And uh, a barrel of oil at the wellhead from a frack well, the cost is about 80 bucks a barrel. Ah. To just get it there, not to get it in the pipeline, not to get it to the refineries, not to do any of that, right. 80 bucks a barrel. So if they keep oil between 40 and 60 for the next 100 years, wow. all the frackers are fucked. Yeah, and how, what do you, how do you feel about fracking? Because I've heard mixed stories about fracking or mixed, mixed reports and mixed, mixed opinions. Some people believe that it's a good way for us to be independent with our oil and to break off from this whole weird sort of crisis in this this uh, situation that we have with the Middle East and other people feel like it's super dangerous and what we're doing is we're potentially poisoning water supplies we're creating earthquakes in some place that's as stable as Oklahoma which was like seismically it was a non-entity like never had any issues with earthquakes now they have tons of earthquakes and they're just constantly drilling into the ground and who knows what are the consequences both, of that both both of those theories are correct mm. Both of the theories. But I'm not a uh, save the world kind of guy. What are you? Uh, You're a I'm, slash and burn type uh, of guy? No, no, not slash and burn. But I, I believe that if there is a, a higher power, he helps those who help themselves. So, I mean... Uh, wow, I that's uh, convenient to think like that, though, Well, isn't it? I think it is. That's why I think that way. Okay. It's convenient. <laughs> yeah. But if he helps those that help themselves, wouldn't he not help people who would poison the water supply? Well, I mean, that's, that's an exaggeration. It's not... It's not poisoning the uh, um, the water supply like uh, like uh, the, the protesters are saying, but by the same token, why frack when if my theory is correct about Saudi Arabia having hundreds of trillions, and they're never going to you know they're never going to allow the fracked oil to come to market? Why do it? Right. If they're never going to allow the fracked oil to come to market. Okay. So the fracked oil, what are they doing with it right now? Well, uh, right now, uh, fracking is down like 70 or 80 percent. It is? Yes, it is. Um, and why is it down? Because, because of the price of oil? Yeah, exactly. So exactly. It's, it has nothing to do with environmental concerns? No, I mean, it's just like um, Obama didn't want the pipeline. Right. Because of environmental concerns. The Dakota Access Pipeline? Correct. But yeah. but it all started during his watch. Yeah, I understand that. But now Trump has says that you can have the pipeline. Because he's looked at the same studies that I've looked at, and it's all online on Google, is that there is this much United States, and the environmental things that may be hurting is this much of the United States. So you're talking, you made you spread your arms up very wide for people listening, okay. and then when you said the about environmental concerns, you put it very small. Correct. But isn't it something that if we could avoid those very small environmental disasters, those very small environmental disasters, they're going to impact that area for thousands of years. Correct. I mean, it's a, it's a significant issue. Yeah, right? I'm sure it is. And, but I mean, there's more than, there's, you know, there's the, the one uh, side of an argument, the other side of the argument, and then somewhere in between is the truth. I mean, right. where the truth lies. But do you I, think that's the only way for us to prosper is to put those areas in danger? I mean, if you, if you say that it, it, there is a potentially... Uh, there's a potential for an environmental disaster that could f affect that area for thousands of years. Take that risk for financial gain. No, not for the No, no, I'm not saying for financial gain. It's not uh, financial. Gain? No, no, of course it's a financial gain. I was in the oil business for 20 years. I, you know, that's right. allegedly where I made my fortune. But the, allegedly, the, allegedly, yeah. Well, I, really I've done other it? things very successfully, but that's the one that they talk about. I turned $800 into 500 million. 
dollars uh, in eight years, and so forevermore I'm an oil man. Right. Okay. But I did. A, I've created fifty billion since then. So I mean, uh, the the what's more important, the fifty billion or the five hundred million? Right. So uh, I got it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But the 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 fact is that politically, whoever gets in office, and right now we have Trump, and he's backed by the Senate and the Congress, etc. Um, it has promised to be uh, like an isolationist, more or less. He's not interested in the wars around, and I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that's his position. And uh, a majority of the electoral votes got him elected. Not the popular vote, but electoral votes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the, but whether the United States of America is uh, ruining parts of it 500 years from now, that'll be ruined, uh, whilst important, it is not the overriding um, energy, pun intended, uh, of what we should be thinking about. What we should be thinking about is doing away with war. You know, uh, 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 living uh, happily. You know, if and, I, and even I believe that, and I'm and I'm an aggressive guy, but that model hasn't worked. Why is that? Well, uh, why were there still wars? Well, I mean, when you talk about the Iraq War and you talk about the Afghanistan War, those are the longest wars we've engaged Correct. in the United States, and we didn't have to be there, right? No, I understand that. Yeah, but how are we going to keep? People elected those people mm-hmm. that put us there. Right. Just like the people elected Trump to put him there. Well. Just like they elected Clinton to put him there. Right. And we still were, we're still in wars. Right. But Clinton didn't do it. I mean, th- this was all post 9-11. And there, were, there was obviously some military actions that were involved when Clinton was in office. But when Bill Clinton was president, it was one of the peace, most peaceful times in the history of this country. Wouldn't you agree? Um. He took out uh, Haiti. He followed up on the Dan Pena plan to take out Haiti. That was the Dan Pena plan? Did yeah, with the CIA, Dan Pena trademark? plan. Yes, well, uh, <laughs> I can coin it now. But, I mean, don't you think that in terms of, like, if you compare pre-Bush, uh, you know, when, when 9-11 happened, from then on, we've been in this perpetual state of war. But it, during the entire eight years that Clinton was in office, although there were some military actions, there it was were. one of the more peaceful times. Yeah, there probably was. You're probably yeah. right, yeah. Well, well, there wasn't as much worry as there is today. Like today, it seems like there's threats of terrorism. We're worried about North Korea, instability all around the globe. I, I want you to hear something else for the first on your program. Okay. Who do you think killed the president's half-brother of North Korea? Didn't they, like, hire some people? They thought it was a prank? Well, that's what the story is. Oh, it was a different story? Yeah. No. The they, 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 well, the North Koreans think that the South Koreans did it. Right. I think the USA CIA did it. Well, I thought the North Koreans thought that the the brother did it, that Kim Jong Un did it to the his older brother. brother. Yeah, yeah, well, because I the brother the was kind of sneaky. I think the CIA did it to send a message to North Korea. Really? What kind of message is that? I mean, that don't don't fuck with us. Oh, it seems like they could do a better job of sending that message. Well, I mean, they killed him. I guess, but who is he? He wasn't even in. No, in, no, in but position, I mean, if, if you can kill the half brother of the president, you can kill the president. Well, that would probably be a better idea. But if they did do that, don't you think it would just create a vacuum, like the same thing that happened in I Libya when they killed I'm, Gaddafi? I, I, I don't read enough books to know that. I don't read any books on in Libya, but I've watched a lot of documentaries on that whole Gaddafi situation. That's a complete clusterfuck. Well, I mean, the, the United States government has done, been doing that for 100 years, yeah. where they back a government. It turns out to be a crooked government. So then they got to go take all the, the backing away from them and then avoid... Mm-hmm. Is, is created, and then the, the guys that come in... Are worse. Yeah. 
like yeah. what's going on in Iraq right now. Yeah, we've been doing that for a yeah. long, long time. With ISIS. And, I mean, and the, but, but what's happening in Libya? Libya is basically a failed state. It's a scary, scary place right now. And uh, if you talk to people that were there pre, uh, pre-Qaddafi or during Qaddafi's administration now, they're like, it's way safer than when Qaddafi was running things. Obviously, if you were uh, an enemy of Qaddafi, it wasn't safe for you. He was a, a brutal dictator. But the, the business of running countries, especially running countries all around the world, is a horrible, horrible, messy business. You know, messy, brutal, evil business. It's, it's always underestimated. And uh, one of my favorite sayings is never underestimate how wrong you can be. And, uh, the, uh, and we always seem to underestimate it. Yeah. Um, and um, I don't think that's going to change. Is it don't right? Do think we're going to get better? I mean, we've gotten better over we've the last hundred years. I mean, since caveman, since that yeah. since that chimpanzee that learned how to use a rock. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, we've gotten better. Yeah. I mean, but we, uh, we've been around, getting better for forty thousand years, mm. and the planet's been alive for thirteen point eight billion years. But we've only had Google for like twenty. Oh yeah. Well, uh, well, I'm I'm not such a proponent that Google's going to change the world. But you don't think so? No. I'd ha- well, not like uh, the millennials think, or the or maybe I don't my know generation. What yeah. am I? Generation X, I guess. It's funny, that whole generation thing. Yeah. We get labels. I think there's a real possibility that information, and I think there's a lot of, there's some battles going on right now with information where people are trying to figure out how, how it should affect things and what it should affect and, and what, what kind of an impact it's ultimately going to have in our culture. But I think it's having a massive impact. And I think it's hard I mean, for Google. us to, yeah. Which is, well, I said Google, but Google meaning the ability to search things. You know, there's oh, Bing and well, there's, I mean, the, the, there's uh, the access to information through those we're portals. We're inundated with instant information. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, what took guys years to research for a PhD paper can be now researched. In days, yeah. or weeks, or yeah. if that. Yeah, it's um, a magical time when it comes to that. And I feel like that, if anything, is going to change foreign countries quicker than any other kind of change. Because I feel like just having the access to the information that things are different in other parts of the world, that people are thinking differently than they ever thought before, that there's more understanding about people, that we have more in common than we do, uh, than this idea that countries are against each other. The countries are con- they're consisted of people that don't even know each other for the most part, and we're supposed to be against some other people that we don't know in some other part of the world. Well, why is it then, um, Tiananmen Square in, in uh, Beijing, 30-whatever years ago it was, uh, when I'm, we were in China uh, not too long ago as a guest of the government, uh, most kids don't even know that that happened yeah. because they, they're not allowed to have Google. Okay. Yeah. Uh, same in Russia, uh, same in uh, c- countries in South America. Now, getting back to why uh, uh, the, uh, the, the oil, uh, hydrocarbons are so important, Russia's got an oil-driven economy now. Uh, a good many of the countries in South America have oil-driven economies now. Canada has an oil-driven economy now. Uh, the UK arguably has an oil-driven economy now vis-a-vis the North Sea. Okay. Uh, the U.S. doesn't really have an oil-driven economy, but it has a big, big part of what happens. Now, when you are making loans from financial institutions at $100, $120 oil with projections, because some dipshit MBA did a spreadsheet on them, uh, to a $200 oil, and you make loans... And now all those loans are underwater, pun intended for the offshore stuff. So is that what happened? They made loans Correct. based on the prediction that it would continue to Correct. go up. So some sort of universal growth or, or continual growth Correct. paradigm? And, and, but anybody that's from the business, like I was, 
knew that that was horseshit. Why did they think that unlimited growth in oil was going to happen and it was going to get to two hundred dollars a barrel if guys a barrel rather if guys like you thought it was horseshit? Uh, b- because a whole other generation has come up that didn't suffer the last oil decline. The last oil decline was the early 80s through the mid-80s, when oil went from $40 a barrel to $6 a barrel, and then went back up to $35 a barrel. All those guys are either dead, in jail, or retired. Hmm. Okay? And now they got young guys who learned something in a book, went to good schools, know how to do spreadsheets, etc., but they don't have the experience. And, uh, the, you know, we have tons and tons of in, uh, information, but what we don't have running a lot of the companies is, is tons and tons of experience. We have a lot of dots, but we don't have the people that have connected the dots. Now, to connect the dots to find out how much the Middle East actually has in barrels of oil, these trillions of barrels of oil, how would one do that? Well, and is this public information? Like what uh, you're saying, no, most no. people don't know this. No, they don't know How that. do you know but, it? Well, because I was partners with the Kuwaiti government for seven years. I, was, I used to be their fair-haired boy for investment. Uh, and, uh, is that I, what you could, they call you, a fair-haired boy? Fair-haired boy, yeah. What does that mean? Uh, fair-haired boy means that uh, I was their favorite. That's a, what a weird expression. Yeah, fair-haired boy. I, fair-haired, I want black hair. Right. Okay. I have blue eyes. Right. Fa- I'm fairing my complexion. Got it. Okay, that's what I, I get used. it, but it's just a, it's weird. Yeah. Sorry. And, and, and um, I, I think it's very surprising that Aramco is going to go public with the numbers because it's been one of the great big secrets of all time in the energy business. Do you think they're going public with the numbers to discourage further fracking? Correct. So they're going to say, look... We, we we would rather have 100% of this thing at half the price Correct. than lose it all. Correct. Mm. And the um, most of the alter- alternative energy deals in the United States and the UK are funded by grants, government programs that fail. I mean, uh, they, they, don't make, they don't make any money. But when you stop doing that, the average, the average cost for a barrel of oil, not fracking, in this country uh, is about 45 50 bucks a barrel. We're right at the break-even to bring it up to the wellhead now. Okay. In the Middle East, taking all of them in, in, into account, it's about 3 bucks a $3 barrel. $3 a barrel. Yeah. A couple of the countries, less than a buck. Whoa. How the fuck can they do that? Because the oil is... Right there. Here. Uh-huh. And they found oil... They were living in tents as Bedouins, and they were looking for water because they'd be dead now. If they hadn't found water 100 years ago, they'd all be dead. But they, they didn't need the water because they got the oil. Then they paid to, uh, take the, the, uh, to, to make the water uh, you know, drinkable. Desalinate. Correct. That's right. the word I was looking for. Yeah. So th- this, this is a, this is, that's an amazing thing. So why is Exxon bothering to drill in the Gulf Coast? Because Hope Springs Eternal. So they, they want to plan for the future. Correct. I, I, I drilled in the Gulf Coast um, when I was running a big oil company. Uh, and, the, uh, and there's two parts of the Gulf Coast. There's the shelf, which is uh, 600 feet deep. And then there's beyond the shelf, which is like 10,000 feet deep. And that's big, big money to drill those test wells. Oh. Uh, and uh, the big guys like Exxon are looking for elephants. They're looking for the big, big reserves. Smaller independents like I was, was looking for, uh, you know, the smaller reserves. Now, when Exxon goes and looks for the big reserves, do, what kind of equipment do they use to, dic- to decide where the oil is? Well, uh, an offshore drilling rig will cost between, uh, in the shallow, 25 to $40 million, and in the deep, uh, uh, 75 to $250 million for just the rig, the thing. Right. 
so what how do they know where the the oil is oh they they have geologists which are like uh, uh, this is a personal point of view geologists geophysicists like psychics a, yeah exactly you're better off with a psychic <laughs> So they, they basically know there's a shitload of oil out there. So Somewhere. They just drill in. Now, what is oil? Explain to me what is oil. I read a book a long time ago that confused the fuck out of me. It was called Black Gold Stranglehold. I don't know if you've ever heard about it. I've heard of it. I never read it. It was a book that was saying that oil is not fossil fuels and that it's not what people think it is, but it's actually a renewable process that the earth creates this oil and that wells go dry and then if you leave them alone for a while they build up with oil again no well i they that's a theory but nobody's ever left the well alone alone long enough to find out if that's true or not ah so they're talking but, about hundreds of thousands of years they're not talking about 40 years right yeah. so no but wells oh so this guy it might be it seemed like a wacky book it was one of those books i was reading have you ever read the holographic universe no it's another book like halfway in the book i'm like what the fuck am i reading this is a goofy ass book it's just too much goofiness in it but that black gold stranglehold i wanted to talk to a real oil man about this so oil is created by what things by, dying by the, by, and deteriorating from uh 40 50 100 million years ago uh and they sit under the ground and they for, uh, form hydrocarbons uh two different kind of hydrocarbons either that's a uh, like gas uh-huh. and oil and uh, and the, when the when it comes up, the, it comes up one pipe, and there's a separator. Sometimes you just have a pure oil well. Sometimes you have just a pure gas well. But mostly you have a mix. So there's a separator. That is, it's a unit that is a engineer's uh, uh, wet dream at the top that separates all this. Uh-huh. Then it's put into a pipeline and taken uh, to a refinery, or it's put into a truck and taken to a refinery. Uh, and some of the, um, the 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 distillate, the actual oil that's depending on the gravity can go straight into a car i mean that that's how pure really? it is yeah and doesn't have to be refined of course the refiners don't like those kind of wells because then they uh, so what is it when it's when, it, when you don't have to refine it i like, mean it, it has been sat under the ground the for thicker so the oil the less time it's been under the ground ah. so if you've got oil that's been there 40 million years it, uh, it will look like uh, kerosene if you've got oil that's only been there 10 million years it'll look uh, black and gunky Oh, that's fascinating. Now, it's we used to call it dead dinosaurs, but it's not really animal matter as much as it is plant matter. Is that true? Plant, yeah. Mostly plant yeah, matter? Yeah, So it's just deteriorating leaves and trees and things along those lines, and then it slowly but surely over millions of years becomes oil. What a weird thing to power our world on. Well, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's been around a long time. But if we really wanted electric batteries... We've had those 40 years longer than we've had uh, gasoline cars. How, what are your feelings on solar? Solar, um, um, you probably don't know this, but for every square foot on the earth, the sun, natural sun with n- nothing uh, uh, advancing the sun's uh, light gives between 10 and 13,000 times more energy than the planet needs. 10 to 13,000 for every square foot just from the sun. Whoa, wait a minute. Hold on. Let me let me sort that out. So what you mean is if you put solar panels on every square foot, you'd have 10 to 13 times more than the planet needs. Yes, right? Einstein. Correct. Right. But you wouldn't really put solar panels over the whole correct. planet. So in order to be able to power a city, what would you have to do? Well, I mean, a city like, uh, let's say, um, the how Valley. Dare, how dare you call me Einstein, by the way? Okay. Uh, the Valley. The valley. Right. Okay. You'd need solar panels that would cover from um, 
downtown Los Angeles to um, San Diego. Jesus Christ. And that's under current solar yeah. technology. And it's, it's gotten much less expensive to do that. Right. Because then you've got to sell the stuff into the grid. The grid meaning the power mm-hmm. thing, like, uh, sent, not sent, what's the power thing up here? Uh, whatever the power company, electric company is. So you sell into the grid, and they will tell you, um, when the government was giving subsidies, they were paying like 18 to 20 cents per kilowatt. Now they're paying 2 to 3 cents. So people invested. Schmucks, banks, lend out tens schmucks, of... Huh? Schmucks, <laughs> Lend out ten, hundreds of billions of dollars to these solar guys because at the 13 to 18 cents a megawatt, and then supply, then we had too much supply because mm. everybody's doing it, and drove down the price. And so now these poor bastards that started these solar deals uh, 15, 20 years ago can't make any money. Mm. So they can't pay off their debt. The, the guys that benefit the most from solar are the farmers that own the land that lease to the solar companies. So it's another one of those unlimited growth things where they felt like it was 10 cents back then per kilowatt. And it's eventually going to be 20 and 30. They thought it was going to go up and instead it went down. And why did it go down? Because oversupply. Because everybody uh, gets on a, a good thing hmm. and then they make it bad. But when you say you sell it back to the grid, there's also ways to do it to be off the grid, right? Correct. You'd have to a, a different system. Yeah, yeah, there are. Yeah. There are. And uh, a lot of, uh, you know, very bright guy put together tax incentive um, deals uh, in the Britain. They call them schemes uh, that, uh, uh, you know, took advantage of the system. Uh, right now in Germany, for example, um, Germany has uh, 20, 25-year contracts. And the government wasn't any smarter. They gave you a 25-year contract at a guarantee 11 cents. Okay. Now, into the grid, it's only 3 cents. Right. So they've got to pay you off uh, the difference between 3 and 11. Right. And um, So the contract's up, and then once it's up, everybody's screwed. Everybody, you know, everybody's screwed. Wow. Now, do you think that it's a viable way to power a city? Yeah, it is. It, it is? is. But I think it's a mix. You need a mix. Really? Not, you know, not just solar. Under current technological uh, yeah, yeah. standards. Solar, wind, wind uh, yeah. and uh, hydrocarbons. Yeah, we were in somewhere filming something for Fear Factor once, and they had one of those uh, windmill farms. It was the craziest thing ever. It was like, like a bunch of robots that were up on this hill. Correct. That were spinning around. And I was like, You're getting, they're getting electricity from these wind robots. Like, how fucking weird is this? And each one of those deals costs, roughly speaking, a million dollars. Wow. Each one. Uh, and uh, the technology uh, has has come a long, long way in the thirty or forty years that they've had those wind wind deals. Yeah. Um, but supposedly the wind currents don't change. Mm-hmm. Wrong. Wrong. They do change. Uh oh. Okay. And so you've built a hundred of these windmills facing a certain way. Right. Okay. And then the wind changes for whatever reason. Now uh, uh, another thing you're going to hear first. Uh, in 2011, my wife and I had our vows renewed at the um, South Pole, Mag- Magnetic South Pole. We went to have be married there. And um, so, they have a huge $500 million scientific uh, research lab, most of which is paid for by the United States government. So we're down there and we're talking to all the uh, goofball scientists running around in shorts, T-shirts, and flip-flops, and it's 40 below zero. Okay, because the sun never goes down. This was December. Uh, and so they're giving us a presentation, and they're bringing out these cores of ice, cores of ice. And they get to the second or third core, and then he says, this core is 55,000 years old. And, of course, I'm, uh, how do you know that? Anyway, they explained. And he said, um, 
13,000 years ago, this was the temperature. 14,000 and 55,000 years ago, it was two degrees warmer Celsius than it is today. And then you go, what? Stop. 55,000 years ago, it was two degrees warmer than it is today. Right. And I said, what about global warming? Simultaneously, all 10 scientists start laughing. All 10 PhDs from MIT, Caltech, Stanford started laughing. Why they laugh? Because global warming is a joke. How's global warming a joke? I'm just telling you what they said. It was warmer, two degrees Celsius, right, 55,000 years ago. 55,000 years ago. Well, if you go back 65 million years ago, it was considerably warmer then. I understand that, but what they were saying is that it's cyclical. Right, it's it going to get colder is, again. But I don't think that's the argument. The argument is whether or not we're contributing well, to this cyclical. I'm sure we are. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, if we wait 10,000 years, there won't be any global warming. It'll go back to cold. Correct. And well, the people, your descendants, my descendants, if they're around 10,000 years from now, We'll read about that. Who are those guys have believed in global warming? So you think that people are being hysterical about a natural cycle that we probably are, we're, we're probably helping it along? We're helping it along, but it's a natural cycle. But it's going to come back around anyway. Correct. Another point. If global warming were for real, I mean, real, 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 it's going to happen. Well, it next, is real. No, no, no. I right? mean, it's going to happen in the next 20, 30 years. Okay. Florida. Uh, most of Central America, uh, a whole bunch of the part of the world is going to be gone because it'll be underwater. Right. Depending on, you know, the most uh, uh, severe, it's 30 uh, meters of water. That's 100 feet. The less severe is 10 meters of water, 30 feet. Okay. If that were the case and you were building condominiums in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, there should be a disclaimer in the prospectus. There should be a disclaimer. The next big wave of class action lawsuits... If global warming happens in the next 20 to 50 years, is going to be the disclaimers that were not written in the investment perspective for condominiums, buildings, everywhere. Manhattan's mm. gone. You know, London's right. gone. Well, that's only under severe forecast, right? Severe forecast well, no, of global The best global forecast warming. is it's going to be 10, meter, 10 meters, which is 30 feet. That's the best forecast? That's the best forecast. And that's over how many years? Uh, 50. So 50, you, don't, you 50, don't think that's going to happen? I'm not likely to be here 50 years from now, so I don't, I'm, oh, I'm not that concerned. pretty good, dude, if they keep replacing shit. Yeah, well, I'm pretty uh, good. My, my, my goal is 120. What are you at right now? Uh, 70, I'll be 72 in a few weeks. You look great. Yeah, thank You've you. You've got a lot of pep to you. Yeah. So what? Uh, but I, 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 I'm happy because I'm enjoying doing what I do. Do you realize 87% Gallup poll came out last year and said 87% of the people on the planet are unhappy with what their life is all about? Unhappy, they, they, and 10% in addition to that, 87 to 97, hate what they do. Oof. So that leaves 3% of the planet enjoy what they do. You're one of 3%. Fuck, I'm one of the 100 millionth of a percent. Uh, I'm so happy I don't know whether to shit or go blind. Well, you shouldn't do uh, the second part. Everybody should shit. shit. Yeah, don't go blind. No, no, I don't well, think that makes you happier. Well, like sometimes that, you have to take but a they're, shit. They're gonna they're gonna figure out how to give me new eyes. They but, are right. Yeah. Do you think yeah. they're gonna figure out how to give you new eyes, or do you think they're gonna figure out how to shoot some stem cells in your eyes or rejuvenate well, I, them? I, I, I want to hear after the program about the stem cells in Vegas. Yeah, they've got a lot of crazy <laughs> shit going on. They're doing discs now. They uh, are just starting. Uh, Talked to Doctor Davidson from the UFC, and they're beginning trials. I think they were gonna do it this Monday. 
so past Monday, a couple of days ago, where they're going to shoot stem cells directly into discs of people with degenerative disc disease, where their discs are, yeah. are shrinking because of compression of the spine and you know just overall life and wearing down. They're going to be able to regenerate disc tissue. Yeah. Well, what's the story about? I read a couple of days ago, um, a transgender guy broke the eye socket of a girl in an MMA fight. I don't know about that. Is that a recent fight? Yeah, I mean, just last 48 hours. I don't know about that. Okay, and, and they're complaining because it's not really a girl. It's right. a guy. Yeah. And he was just overpowered and he just... No, I've never heard of a broken eye socket in yeah, one Broken of eye sockets are really common. Oh, they? okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. Okay. Broken eye sockets, broken orbitals. Very, very common. If you get punched or kicked or elbowed really hard in the eyeball, which sounds horrible to people, but uh, you get a blowout fracture where you actually blow out the bone Oof. in the back of the eyeball. So they have to literally take your eye out and they have to go behind it, repair. Usually, sometimes they have to put like a little plate or something that puts the bone back together in the back of your eye, put your eye back in. And sometimes when guys do get those kind of orbital fractures, they have these weird eyes, like the one eye that like pokes forward more than the other oh, eye. Jesus. It looks weird. Yeah, very dangerous sport. Very dangerous sport. You know, it's just obviously it's a combat sport. But yeah. The I mean, goal they're is to, to you know. smash each other. Yeah. I've been pretty vocal about, there was a, uh, a pretty famous case of uh, a guy who had been a guy for 30 years, became a woman for two years, you know, or you know, went transgender, whatever you want to call it, and started fighting MMA and wasn't telling these women that she used to be a man for 30 fucking years. And I was like, well, that's crazy. Like, if you tell people and they still want to fight, that's fine. I think you should be able to do whatever you want to do, just like I think you should be able to ride a bull. I, you know, I support your right to ride a bull. You want to ride a bull? I'm not telling you you shouldn't do it because I don't, I, who the fuck am I to tell you they shouldn't jump out of buildings and, uh, and skydive? Or uh, jump out of planes, rather, or uh, jump off cliffs with one of those wingsuits, like my friend Andy does. You you should you should be able to do whatever you want to do, as long as you're informed. But this idea that it's not something that you need to tell the other person about because now you're a woman, I say that's bullshit. You're biologically a man. You were born a man. You have an XY chromosome. You have all sorts of mechanical advantages. You have a different bone structure. It's not the fucking same. And if these people want to continue this crazy narrative that once you decide that you identify with being a woman, you should be able to compete as a woman. It's fucking crazy. I mean, I'm sure you saw what happened with that kid in high school. There was oh, yeah. a kid in high the school. Yeah, she, she wanted to be a boy. And so they started giving her testosterone treatments, but she still has to compete as a girl in wrestling while she's transitioning to being a boy. So they're giving her these testosterone treatments, and she's just mauling these girls. Yeah, yeah. It's just not fair. What happened to the, uh, the girl? Um, and it's not her fault, by the way. That kid, it's the fucking, the people that live there yeah. want her to compete as a girl. And if that's the case, you shouldn't allow her to be competing while she's taking testosterone. It's real simple. And if she wants to compete as a boy, let her compete as a boy, or let him compete as a boy. In your opinion, what happened to the uh, young girl that was... Ro Ra Ronda Rousey? Yes. The Olympian girl that, you know, all of a sudden went from the sh penthouse to the shit house. A lot of things. It's a long, long she was story. Great. I mean, I, I, I was a big She's follower of her. Amazing judo practitioner um, and dominant like no one else ever in women's MMA mm -hmm. up to that point, in the UFC at least. But... There were some holes in her approach that were exposed by Holly Holm, the, the woman who knocked her out, yeah, yeah. the girl head kicked her. Yeah. Holly had the perfect style to deal with Ronda's style. She's really strong. She's fast. She's an amazing athlete, and she is an outstanding striker. And so Ronda's thing was to charge at you like a fucking bull. 
and Holly just played the matador brilliantly, caught her, lit her up while she was coming in, and then eventually head kicked her and stopped her. Once you get knocked out like that, first of all, she was very very confident while she was the champion and some people would say arrogant and because of that there's all these people that are waiting for you to fall Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people out there that don't have much confidence and when they see someone who's out there who's got a lot of confidence it's very compelling like a floyd mayweather or like Mm -hmm. a conor mcgregor their their confidence is incredibly compelling like you want to be near them you but those people when that person loses, they're the first ones to attack. They're like, yeah, you fucking loser. I knew you were a loser. <laughs> like, you go to Ronda Rousey's uh, Instagram page and read the comments under her pictures. It's ruthless. Some fucking assholes. Just assholes. And I guarantee you, all those people are severely unaccomplished. Mm-hmm. Or, or really young. Either mm-hmm. young kids that don't understand what they're doing, they just have this opportunity to be able to talk shit, or they're a bunch of fucking losers, and they're finding this opportunity to shit on someone who was this incredible, bright, shining star that fizzled out. So she lost to Holly Holm, and then she came back in a far worse matchup against Amanda Nunes. And I thought Nunes, before Holly Holm beat her, I thought Nunes was the most dangerous matchup for her. Because Amanda Nunes is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, and she has heavy, heavy hands. She's a dangerous striker. And I was like, Ronda's going to have to close the distance or to grab her and take her to the ground. And when she does, it's no fucking picnic. Because Amanda Nunes is nasty on the ground. And then getting close to her, she's got knockout power with her hands. I'm like, this is a terrible, terrible matchup. And it turned out to be right, because she got knocked out in 48 seconds in the rematch. But what she should have done is revamp her camp or not fight. Revamp, re go to one of the masters. There's a few masters of mixed martial arts in this world. There's Faraz Zahabi and Matt Hume and Duke Rufus. There's a few of these striking mixed martial arts masters. And you have to go to them. You have to go to them and you have to like submit yourself and say, look, let's fix this. Let's fix whatever I'm doing and let's see if we can take this to the next level because the sport evolved and the sport passed her by like she was at the very top but if you build it it's like that field of dreams movie Mm -hmm. you build it they will come and when she built the women's bantamweight division and became this dominant force and stopped all these people and looked invincible all those women were coming up below her and they were they were getting better and they were evolving and they were like the rest of mma they were reaching this incredibly high level whereas the women's mma movement in the in the early days you know 3 4 years ago if you watched women's mma the skill level was nowhere near commensurate with the men's skill level like the men's skill level at 3 4 years ago they're better today but only a little bit better but the women are way better today than they were because it's a new thing it's like 1997 for mixed martial arts for men <clears throat> that's what like 3 or 4 years ago was but now the women have essentially pretty much caught up or close to it. There's very high-level striking, very high-level submissions, very high-level fluid overall mixed martial arts games that you're seeing in the women's division. And Ronda, in a lot of ways, as spectacular as she was, had a very limited approach. She didn't kick. She punched, but she wasn't necessarily like the most brutal knockout puncher, and she wasn't necessarily the most skillful boxer. She didn't really have a tremendous amount of experience. What she had was incredible athleticism, a world-class mindset. She was a world-class athlete. You know, she's a former Olympian and outstanding judo. Her judo and her arm bars are amongst the best in the world. Like her transitions, the way she attacks and attacks and attacks and set things up. She's phenomenally talented and and you know, really accomplished in judo. But when you want to be a world mixed martial arts champion at the highest level of the game, now 
you have to be great at everything. Mm-hmm. And there's people like Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson, who I think is the oh, best I, fighter I can, in the world. Yeah. He's amazing. Yeah. That guy's great at everything, and that's uh-huh. why he's the best, because you don't know what the fuck he's going to do. You don't know if he's going to kick you or knee you or take you down or strangle you or, or, or elbow you. He's just got so many options, and he's coming at you from all different directions, and he never gets tired. He's, he's the total full package. We don't have a Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson in women's MMA yet, but it's coming. It's coming. And Ronda's not that. You know, Ronda's more like... Maybe like a Chuck Liddell or one of the uh, early pioneers of men's MMA. Super talented, really fun to watch, but perhaps limited in their approach. Yeah, I used to enjoy. Well, I enjoy Mighty Mouse. Now that you mentioned him, I he's really, incredible. Yeah. He's incredible. You know, and there's uh, there's so many of them now. I mean, it's just this sport is just exploding. It's exploding with talent. Has it changed since they sold? Well, it has a little bit. It's trying to like refine itself, I think. But the guys who sold it, or the guys who bought it, rather, um, you know, they're savvy, intelligent dudes who are trying to do it their way. And there's going to be some bumps along <clears> the way. There's, they've made a lot of changes, and they're trying to do some things differently. And some of the things I agree with, like now I have a three-man booth. Like it's me and a fighter, and then the, the uh, play-by-play commentator, which uh, we've done a couple times. So I think is really good. I like it. And um, they're they've got a lot of. Uh, Matchups that have fallen through, unfortunately, because of weight cut issues and a bunch of other stuff. So, it's a tough business, man. I wouldn't want to be a promoter. It's uh, what I do is easy. I just show up and things are happening. I talk about the things that are happening. It's not a lot, you know. I don't have to do a lot of work to get there. You know, I just kind of get there and then I watch and I talk about the fights. The promoting angle of it is unbelievably brutal. You have to rely on so many people to do their job, so many people to have their shit together. you got to rely on these crazy, impulsive maniacs known as MMA fighters to get their weight in order and to, to have their camp go through without severely injuring themselves and to do things smartly and intelligently and conservatively so that they can show up for the dance and be able to perform at their best. It's, you know, it's, you're asking a lot of a lot of different people. And most of them come through. You know, Most fighters are incredibly professional. Uh, but some of them don't, like that Habib Nurmagomedov, Tony Ferguson fight that fell through uh, a couple weeks ago or last week. Horrible, just d- devastating. That we were, you know, we were all ready for that fight, and then in the day of the fight, uh, he can't make the weight. Day of the weigh-ins, rather, he can't make the weight, and they uh, sent him to the hospital. So those kind of things do happen. These guys that are running it now, the uh, WME guys, you know, they're smart as hell. So we'll just see. They'll figure it out. That's what I think. I think they'll. It'll take a little while. There'll be there'll be a little bit of a trial and error. Just understandable. I mean, they're gonna they spent four billion on the UFC. They're gonna want it run it their way. I get that. It's an incredible investment. I don't know how the fuck they're gonna make that money back. You're a, you're a smart financial guy. How the hell do they make that money back? They won't. Oh Jesus, Dan Pena! Why did you do that? Just it's can't. not it's not likely. No. Uh, the way I would do it is uh, I would take it public. Oh, is that how I you mean, make it's a your no-brainer. money back? Uh, you heard it here first on mm. Joe's show. Take it public. And, and if they, they take it they, public? They, 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 they can make 50% on their money in a week. I, I mean, a week after they take it public because the, um, the average investor pays up too much. They pay up high multiples. And the difference between a, a non-liquid uh, investment and a liquid investment, the multiples are normally 50 to 100% higher. You just so, lost me talking okay, Chinese. Okay, if he's if, if if let's just say they bought it at uh, twenty times earnings. Okay. Okay, four billion equated to twenty times earnings. Right. So okay. that means twenty times per annual earnings. Yeah, yeah, okay. that's correct. So uh, they take it public, and the investment public, the schmucks that buy stocks on the New York Stock Exchange, will give you forty times. 
They will? Yes. Huh. Why don't they do that then? Well. What's the problem with taking things public? Well, they lose control. Oh. And they, it depends on how much of the, how much of the stock are they going to sell. Right. Are they going to sell 10%? They're certainly not going to sell 50.1% because then they lose total control. Right. But right. then they also uh, have to adhere to the SEC, Security Exchange Commission. Mm. There's rules. Uh, and they have to have uh, audited statements every, uh, every 90 days. And if, there's a, if, if, if they gave you too much money uh, for, uh, for expenses and it's down there as a footnote, they're going to come. They come and investigate. Why'd you give mm. Rogan that? Why'd you do right. that? Oh, and, and most people don't want to go public because of that. I went public because I could see that I, I was going to make uh, a thousand times my money. I mean, or not even a hundred thousand times my money. So it was a no brainer. You, you made a hundred thousand times your money by going public? Well, well, it's actually better than that. Um, the uh, I grew, Jamie, we need to take this podcast public. I, I, okay, I grew at sixty-seven thousand percent a year. What the fuck does years. that even mean? How is that even possible? 60, sixty-seven. My total growth on my original investment was fifty-five million percent. Jesus Christ, that's a lot of money. Dan and Penny. there hasn't been Facebook nor anybody else, anybody even close. For, but unfortunately for me. Because it was 25 years ago, I was at a low base. My base was only half a million, or five. Yeah, uh, f excuse me, 500 million. And uh, but now, I mean, uh, what does that mean by your base? In other words, what I grew the company from 800 bucks right to f 500 million. Right. Okay. So, but my base, my initial base was eight. Uh, call it a thousand bucks. Okay. Okay. And my exit base was 500 million. Okay. 500 million dollars. And, uh, of course, I had a lot of shareholders. It wasn't just me. Uh, but now uh, the, um, the company grew. If you take 800 bucks and you figure out the uh, – you do a spreadsheet on uh, the growth per year at 67,000 percent. And if you do the total growth, it's 55 million percent. 55 million percent. Now, if you were – you're an MMA fan. And if yes, you were going to give advice to the people that own the yes, UFC, too. what would you tell them? Oh yeah, Alpha Brain. Alpha. <laughs> what would you What would you give them? What I'd advice say, would you I, say? I, I'd hire somebody like Goldman Sachs. Uh, I hire more than one. I'd say Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan or somebody like that, or Credit Suisse to to look at uh, how to make their investment liquid. Liquid, because now it's frozen like uh, a stiff dick. I mean, it's not going anyplace. <laughs> so, no. what does that mean? Like, how do you make it liquid? Liquid, okay. If let's just say we're going to take this podcast public, okay, let's okay. do it. Let's get uh, okay. crazy. Okay, let's get crazy. Now let's just say that the um, right now uh, uh, you make uh, let's throw out numbers a million dollars a year off your podcast, uh, and um, you have no other shareholders. Okay, just okay. You. Okay. Now you want to take it public, and you want to take it public on one of the secondary or tertiary exchanges because uh, this isn't wouldn't be big enough to take on the New York Stock Exchange, and um, you want to sell shares in your baby uh, for a thousand dollars a share. Okay. How many shares does one have? Well, you as many as you want. If you want, really? Yeah. So you can make a hundred million shares at a thousand dollars a share. Yeah, but you you couldn't you couldn't equate that much value but you could do a thousand shares at a thousand uh, at a thousand dollars a share okay okay and so you sell 20 percent off to the public so 20 percent of those shares are and i mean you got millions of people to follow you i mean that would be a, a, a slam dunk i mean it'd be a no-brainer it'd be a no-brainer but then a bunch of people would be telling me who to well, get no as long as, no, as long, no as long as you got to keep control uh, fuck keep you control. you know they would try to get that power though yeah, well, they would, and uh, but as long as you held, or your group, or your consortium, or you and your uh, uh, your buddies held more than fifty percent, they could never take control. Right. 
but it seems like that's that's where hostile takeovers come correct. from, right? Correct. Yeah, people gather oh. up. Yeah, yeah, oh, well, you're I, excited there. Yeah, I'm getting excited myself just thinking about it. Yeah. Hostile takeovers. That's yeah, your, that's like the, the then you can just say, move. okay, well, well, we'll meet in the cage. You you can put your best guy up. I'll put my best guy, and then we'll settle it that way, just like they do in the old days. Mm. You know, instead of the two armies going to war, the best knight from this guy and the best knight from this guy. Right. They and, duke it you know, out. Yeah, and then you, who would you pick to defend to defend your honor? My honor. Yeah, in the cage. I mean, if you get if the other side had a guy, who would you pick? It's a good question. Are we doing weight classes? No, no. A- anything goes. This is a heavyweight named Francis Ngannou. I think I might put my money on that guy. Yeah? Terrifying. Young heavyweight. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Who Knocks would they pick? people dead. Who cares? Let them pick oh, no, whoever okay. the fuck they want. <laughs> I got I Francis. Be, I used to be a, a fan of uh, Lesnar. I oh, like him. scary. Yeah. He was scary. If, if Brock Lesnar got into MMA when he was young, if somebody grabbed him like right out of college... And uh, and really trained him properly. Better yet, right out of high school and trained him properly. Just an unbelievable freak athlete. A freak athlete. I remember in the heavyweight match, I forget who was fought, where um, he, he had beaten up Lesnar pretty bad, but Lesnar still won the fight. The guy with the big hands. Another and Shane guy. Carwin. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Shane Carwin beat the shit out of him in the first round, but he gassed out. And then Brock Correct. survived and strangled him in the second. Yeah. Yeah, Brock's a tough guy. And, you know, he just was a guy who got into MMA very late in life and wasn't a natural striker and really didn't have the the natural striking capability. Not When I say natural, I mean like fluid, really um, effortless striking that you get when you've been doing it for years and years and years. That's That's one of the hardest things to learn as guys get older when they're like in their 30s and they're learning how to strike. Learning how to strike against someone who's really seasoned and good, there's just going to be these openings, and it just takes a few shots. One, two, three, get in, and all of a sudden you're diminished, and the leg kick, and then the fucking shot to the body, and you're hurt. And then, boom, you saw what happened when he fought Cain Velasquez. Cain just overwhelmed him. Mm-hmm. He's just so much better with striking, and really great at wrestling as well. So Cain was able to get back up off his feet when Brock took him down, and then just Brock could not handle the onslaught that Cain was putting on him on the feet. Just wasn't prepared for it correctly. You need years and years and years of striking training, and you need to spar lightly, and you need to you know you need to develop fluidity in your in your movements. You need to have efficient striking movements. Now, what's it called the uh, the, uh, the the pretend wrestling uh, league? Uh, Pro wrestling WWE. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know uh, what's the guy's name? The founder. Vince McMahon. Okay, McMahon, and his wife is now in the in the cabinet uh, for Trump. Uh, yeah, she got approved. Hilarious. Okay, yes, it, uh, probably <laughs> is hilarious. But she or not she, they got rich when they went public. Yeah. Yeah. See, they went public. They went public with the WWE. Correct. Yeah. And I was offered for fifty thousand dollars a point when they first got started. A bunch of buddies of mine in Connecticut were riding in a limo, and they show me a, a demo tape. And they says, we can get into this. We can buy up to 10% for $50,000 a point. They, they, they need money. I said, bullshit. Who's going to watch that shit? Nah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel it the same way. Yeah. I, my friend Tony was at, um, I don't know what, what they call it, Monday Night Raw. Is that what it was? At the Staples Center? And he, he was making videos while he was in the audience. And I was like, you got to be fucking shitting me. There's 20,000 people in this place. It's crazy. They, yeah. The numbers are insane. People love that stuff. They yeah. love it. They were going nuts. I can't believe it. They, they just, I don't understand it. Yeah, but I mean that—that—that's he got liquid by going public. How many people do you think that pay three thousand dollars a month to that guy wind Jason. up going to pro pro wrestling? And the same people. Probably the three thousand dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Probably the same people. That's probably like a hundred percent of them are pro wrestling fans. 
Yeah. Now, does everybody know pro, pro wrestling is not for real? No. No, there's some people with head injuries out there that still think it's real. There's a few few people that fell off the back of a motorcycle. <laughs> I can't believe he won. I thought Brock was number one. This is insane. <gasps> I like when they come down the, the, um, the, the you know, the that ramp yeah. and the fire and this yeah. and that. And then when they get, uh, they have to be good, good athletes because when they bounce their heads on some of those things and hit them with chairs. They're definitely it, good athletes. Yeah. There's no I doubt mean, about it. Yeah. Those guys are outstanding athletes and it's a fucking really hard way to make a living. I mean, whatever, say whatever the fuck you want about it being choreographed. They're still picking each other up and slamming each other on the yeah. ground and hitting gotta, each other. And that's got to hurt after a few weeks, few months, few years. Not only that, those guys are on the road, you know, 200 plus days a year doing that. So it is a absolutely brutal business. It's a hard way to make a living, and they are tough, tough guys. So they might not be really competing like an MMA fighter is, but there's no doubt about it. They have my respect. Those guys are tough. It's a tough way to make a living. They are earning their money. And I think they're doing it in a way where most people don't even see them earn their money. They, I mean, they're out in these, these arenas, you know, they're, they're playing this state and that state, and they're going on the road, and they're slamming each other and throwing each other into the turnbuckle and elbowing each other in the face. It's fucking hard, man. That is a hard way to make a living. And a giant percentage of those guys wind up having problems with pain pills, severe pain in their body, always constantly, uh, you know, back injuries, knee injuries, neck injuries, elbow injuries. I mean, it's just, uh, it's a fucking brutal way to get paid. Yeah. Now, are the uh, MMA guys getting paid big money now? The best of the best are. The guys like Conor McGregor and Conor McGregor, a lot of the people that fight Conor McGregor, they're making millions. Ronda Rousey, she's making millions. It's just, uh, it's taken a while for the people that are not known very well to be able to make that kind of money. You know, they're not, they're not really, you know, it's, it's hard for the average journeyman fighter to not just pay their bills, but to put money away as well. You know, it's just... But it's like that in boxing, too. That's what people don't understand. Boxing, like you, people say, well, Floyd Mayweather made $40 million for that fight. Maybe he did. But Floyd Mayweather is one. There's one Floyd Mayweather. Gennady Golovkin can't sell 200,000 pay-per-view buys. And he's the, one of the best fighters in the world today. You know, Vasily Lomachenko, same thing. One of the best fighters in the world today. He's not making the kind of money that Conor McGregor's making. So what boxing is, is like you see these very big marquee names, you know, these big famous guys who are making good money, and um, they make more money than the best UFC guys. Like Manny Pacquiao has made more money than the best UFC guys, but Conor McGregor's nipping at their heels right now. Yeah, Manny used to have a house right around the corner from me. I, I lived eight years in Manila, one year in China, three years. You lived years. in Manila? Yeah. Wow, what is that like? If you got money, it's terrific. Yeah. Is it dangerous? Yeah, my, my wife had six bodyguards. Jesus Christ, six? Six, and one of them used to be the bodyguard of the president. <sighs> and the, uh, all I want... Well, Why'd I you live there? Why were you living there? I had a, a thriving business. I still have the thriving business. We don't live there anymore. Do you play pool? Uh, yeah. Do you? Yeah. I knew you did. I yeah, knew. Because yeah, if yeah. you live in Manila, yeah. you got to play some pool. Yeah. And uh, well, we lived a year in China, eight years there, three years in India. And um, the uh, but when I was interviewing uh, bodyguards, I just want to know: Have you have you got any trigger time? I don't want you just looking pretty. I mean, right. have you ever pulled the fucking trigger? Right. So all of the, our, all of my wife's bodyguards had pulled triggers before, you know, because you could get, get these guys. I read right. the same with CIA yeah. or the Secret Service. I, I mean, have you done anything? You know. Well, that's it. That is an important thing, and it's a. Uh 
some would consider maybe like there's some people that are more sensitive that would say, well, that's a distasteful thing to even bring up. Like, why is there honor in shooting people? Why is there honor in trigger there, time? Well, but, but I think what you were trying to figure out when you went into this big game hunting with handguns thing, whether or not you, you would pussy out when the, the moment was there, is because you knew that it's a significant challenge when your life is legitimately on the line. People and, act different when they, they think they're going to die. Yeah. I yeah, mean, they just do. They just do. And you, you find out who you really are versus who you're pretending Absolutely, you are. Absolutely. You know? yeah. And I know a lot of brave guys that have pissed their pants. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Shit themselves. Yeah. yeah but yeah. They, they did what was necessary. Right. But that, that moment of truth. Well, that's the, the old saying that a great man and uh, a weak man have the same fear. Just one responds to it in a different way. Yeah. I raise my kids. It's not what happens to you in life. It's how you react to what happens to you in mm. life. Yeah, and uh, the um, and the the millennial kids are pussies, weenies, weenies. They're weenies. Why, why are I mean, weenies. I call them vagina brains. Oh, yeah. Why is that? They want to get laid. They don't know how though. But isn't a vagina a good thing? Yeah. Why would well, you say well, a vagina not, brain? Well, not if you got one as a brain. Do you oh, realize jellyfish lasted 350 million years without a brain? Yeah, but they don't have Google. You can't find <laughs> them on Snapchat. Like who gives a fuck about jellyfish? Yeah. They sting you. They're assholes. Yeah. What are they? You can't even eat them. Fuck, no, you they, can't. Who eats, you can't even eat jellyfish. No. Um, Fucking useless. The, what do they do? Uh, pardon? What do they do? What good is jellyfish? They just like, float they around all die. and they, and they uh, sting other fish to kill them. Assholes. Yeah, and they, they fuck with you when you're at the beach. Yeah, and there's some weird fucking super ancient life form. Correct. That we really moved million past. Years. We've yeah, moved past you people. Well, I mean, hopefully we've moved past. Yeah. Hopefully, you know. But they know global warming's a joke, too. The jellyfish do? Yeah. Oh. So you, well, this is a thing. I've had this conversation with people before because, you know, if you have anybody on a podcast that is uh, saying anything controversial like you're saying about global warming, people go, oh my God, can't believe you had a climate change denier on your show. But you're not a climate change denier. No. What you're saying is that it's an exaggerated effect that human beings have had. And regardless of whether or not we had that effect at all, if you look at like the end of the ice age, you look at all these different monumental changes in the temperature of the United States versus the temperature of the world, the global. Globally. It's, it's constantly changing. Yeah. 55,000 years ago at the South Pole, magnetic South Pole, it was two degrees Celsius warmer. And uh, my wife and I have also been to the magnetic North Pole. We were married there as well. We're bipolar. We were married both at the South and... Why do you get married in weird spots? Um, for fun? Yeah, for fun. Uh, my wife and I have uh, renewed our vows six times. Jesus Christ. You must yeah. really love that lady. Yeah, well, I do. I do. I do. And, uh, but the North Pole is... Um, uh, they, they all look pretty much the same, but most people don't realize the South Pole is on a mountain. So you're at really? the altitude. You're at between ten and 14,000 feet. Uh, so you, what uh, uh, country is the South Pole in? Antarctica. So Antarctica is the South Pole. It's a mountain. And what's the North Pole? No, no, North Pole is just moving ice. Just moving ice. So there's no actual land mass? No. So no, you're just, just on and, the ice? And, and only three to six weeks a year can you actually have a facility to be able to land a chopper uh, and have a ceremony at the North Pole. Is that a normal thing where people get... A ceremony on the North no, Pole? No, no. Sally and I are, uh, at, right now the Guinness Book of Records is going through the witnesses, or the only two people ever to be married on both poles. <laughs> yeah. Do you realize the Guinness Book of Records, they, their scam is they charge you money. How much? Well, to get on the preferred list, a thousand pounds. Hmm. What's and that uh, dollars? It's like uh, 1400 bucks, 1300 bucks. Hmm. Most people don't pay it, and most people don't get in. So you have to pay money to get on their stupid book? Correct. So even if you did something, like say if you jump rope for three days straight 
and you made the Guinness Book of World Records. Well, you have to you, pay. It'd it it take in you there. six, seven years to get on. What? Yeah. Why? Because that's their model. They're, that's their so they're just there to model. make money. Yeah. What a bunch of fuck. And, and this is probably the first time that anybody's ever c- told anybody on on uh, public uh, medium. We've had like four firsts on this podcast. I'm pretty proud of that. You and me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've had right. Haven't you said, you've said quite a few firsts. Well, I want to say another one. Okay. My pe- uh, my pet project right now is um, trying to g- put together a vet veteran program. And uh, that I'm funding, I put up all the money, I don't want anybody's money. But so, so far, even though I had one of the uh, world's largest um, talent agencies, and I had um, 10 of the top 15 production companies say that vets don't make good TV. Now, they won't say that in public. What do they mean by vets don't veteran, make good TV? Veterans don't make good TV unless they're wrestling around in the mud. What, That's what, what I've been told by some names that you probably know even. And uh, the um, I've been told by four-star generals, names that positively everybody on this podcast would know. I've been told by congressmen, senators. I've been told by TV personalities, do- moving heads, on mm-hmm. you know, that all come out for vets. Except when they're asked to do something, and we don't, I don't want their money. So what kind of stuff are you talking about, like do something? Okay, they're, they're well, I mean, no will to. you be on an advisory board saying that uh, putting vets in business after they tr- they try to transition from the military to uh, civilian uh, life, civilian life uh, and try to reduce the 22 uh, vets that commit suicide a day, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, and, um, and when on CBS they'll say, yeah, 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 but when you ask them to do something, they're, they're, they're not as um, uh, generous with their time. And um, I can understand uh, if I was asking them for money. But what I found out, Joe, all these guys, save a few, still ma- need to make a living. And they're not going to get paid for this. So they have less time, pro bono time and charity time, than they let people on mm. when they're in, uh, on CNBC, etc. Right, I see what you're saying. Okay, so I've been asked to do a documentary expose. I've been asked. I haven't said I was going to do it because I don't really need that kind of publicity. But um, about uh, the show that I've been trying to do. Uh, now, what is the show? What's it's the... called Boots to Suits. Boots to Suits. Okay. So taking them from the military and then Correct. teaching them how to be and successful in business. And we've had five pilot programs at the castle where I do my seminars with vets. Uh, sometimes we make them. You have a uh, castle? Is that what you're saying? When you say oh, yeah. at the castle, is that your oh, house? Yeah, yeah. I'm you not live in a castle? Yeah, I live in a 14th century storybook castle. Get the fuck out of here. Where is it? Oh, Scotland. You have to tell me. You live no, in Scotland? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Near no. St. Andrews. Jesus, why do you live in Scotland? You live because, all over the place, man. Yeah, because I, Manila, wanted, to be, I wanted to be near the uh, home of golf. When I retired, I tried to retire in my 30s. When I made, uh, And just play golf? Uh, yeah, but I, it only lasted a couple months. Retirement didn't suit uh, no, you? No, no. Yeah, mean, you don't yeah. seem like a guy that can no, retire. No, no, uh, it didn't suit me. It... Um, it doesn't suit me now. I haven't had to work for 37 years. Now, how did you get involved in all this online stuff? Because that's how I found out about oh, you. And I, mean, I found the, out about uh, you through uh, Tom Segura. I mean, I, I got involved online because I own businesses that market online. But you, you're a great online advice guy. Yeah. Like, oh, no, lot- no. I mean, uh, five of the top online um, money producers on the planet I trained. Like, who are the top five guys? Well, uh, Matt Lloyd. Um, Shakir Hussein. I feel like this is like he's telling me Pat about all Popius. stars in a sport I don't follow. Huh? Pat Popius. Oh, Pat. Uh, uh, Shakir, Pat. I know those dudes. 
No, no. Yeah. These guys make three to seven million a month. Jesus. That's a lot of money. I hope you're paying taxes, boys. Pay that tax. You know, Especially I, I, now. I know you, uh, one of them for sure believes in no taxation without representation. Oh, one of those guys, huh? Yeah. Uh, in fact, almost all of them are that really? way. Really? Yeah. 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 So, but I trained them, but I didn't train, you know, I know about impressions and traffic. I, I understand all that. But when Google changed their algorithms 10, 12 years ago, they used to want a hundred guys that produced a hundred million online. Now they want ten million guys that produce ten thousand online. Ah. And so that's how they built their platform. And uh, and Google is I is a great tool, but a better tool in my judgment for what I do is LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn is some shit that people from high school always send me. I'm like, bitch, I'm not joining your LinkedIn page. Huh? Are you on LinkedIn? No. No, but I get, like, invitations oh, yeah. to join LinkedIn more than anything I ever get in online. Okay. And I don't join. Well, I mean, LinkedIn is, uh, <laughs> is, is a professional thing. I know. That's why it's ridiculous. Yeah. They're sending that crap to me. Um, but, but you're y- professional, even though you pretend not to be. Oh, uh, I pretend? Yes. Hmm. Interesting. Is that your perception? That yes, I'm it is. Pretending not to be. Assess that's me. Your, that's your shtick. Oh, my shtick is that I pretend to not be professional. No, no, no. Your shtick is you pretend to be outside the box. When I, oh. Oh, I believe that you're more inside the box than these, these uh, melon heads listening know or realize. Well, like, what do you mean by in the box? I mean, you, you, you have some. I know you're a libertarian. If my research yeah, is correct, pretty much. Okay, and I, I realize, uh, but I mean, you believe in some real. Uh, down-to-earth values uh, that um, are actually in the box that made America great. Long do you, would you disagree? Uh, yeah, probably. Define those. Like, what do you mean? Uh, you've talked about, um, we've talked briefly about um, commitment, focus, mm-hmm. honor. Hard work, discipline. Yeah. Yeah, for that's sure. That's what made this country great. Well, that's what makes people great. Well, okay. Well, people comfort. make a country. Comfort is not what makes people great. No. And uh, the uh, getting out of your comfort zone is the yes. reason the millennials have such a hard time now. Yeah, they're all sitting on the couch playing video games. And they're still living at home when delivered. they're 34 years old. That's true. Yeah. I can't believe that. Yeah. When I was 18, I couldn't get out of the house quick enough. But don't you think that that's sort of like what we always expect from the fall of civilizations? I mean, that's what we always were taught about Rome, right? That Rome got to be incredibly gluttonous and then it all collapsed under the weight Greek, of its own bullshit. Rome, yeah, yeah, correct. And that's, that's kind and you of don't like... Think, you don't think that's going to happen to the U.S. or America? Homo sapiens? Right now. Uh, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. But do you think it be, can be changed? Can it be turned Anything around? Anything can be changed if we want to do it bad enough we're willing to pay the price to action. Mm. It's going to be painful. Well, I think people just need to understand that there's consequences. There's consequences that you pay to constantly seeking comfort and, and avoiding discomfort and avoiding hard work. And those consequences are you're never going to feel self-realized. You're never going to feel like you accomplished anything. You're never going to have this feeling of understanding that difficulty and struggle and, and the ability to push through that is a muscle. And you develop that muscle Correct. by doing it. And once you do, you develop a lot of self-satisfaction and you develop peace of mind and you... You understand that you can overcome obstacles. If you don't have to overcome obstacles, you never know whether or not you can. Like what you were talking about with trigger time. Unless you are faced with actual adversity, you don't understand how you're going to feel and how you're going to react when you overcome that adversity. The, um, uh, w- one of the things I believe that I'm the best on the planet in doing is I get you to do what you don't want to do 
to be what you want to be. What do, you, what do I need to do? Tell me what to do. Well, I don't know. I don't, you know, this is the first time I've ever met you. Oh. You know, you're, you're an enigma inside a, what's that saying? A riddle. Yeah. Wrapped in secret sauce. Correct. Something like that. Yeah. Mm. And uh, the, um, but so, I mean, uh, hopefully this isn't the last time I'll ever talk to you. But, I mean, you're, um, you're, um, you're an idol to, you know, several million people. Those people need help. I'm the wrong guy. Yeah. Well, the- <laughs> keep moving. <laughs> These are not the droids you're looking for. Yeah. And uh, but um, what what I do, and before I, they put dirt on me in 50 more years, is I want to minimize people's regrets. Mm. Okay. And because we all have regrets. Uh, and I told you what my three regrets were uh, earlier in your program here. But I mean, uh, to minimize regrets and uh, the millennials. Uh, we'll have a different sort of regrets. Uh, the uh, Right now, um, for the past seven or eight years, we've had free money. Interest rates have been free. It's literally free. A hundred years from now, they're going to say, what the fuck were you doing when they were giving away free money? I mean, literally. The people that are listening to this, uh, 20 years from now, their children and grandchildren are going to say, grandma, grandpa, what the fuck were you doing other than having your thumb up your ass during the period of free money? Now, when you say interest rates are free, are you talking about business loans? Correct. I mean, you can, it's, ne- it's never going to get, well, it can only go up from here. And, and uh, Yellen, the head of the Fed's, Federal Reserve, has already upped them uh, once. And they, she says, I guess she's going to up them a couple more times. But historically, interest rates ought to be 8, 10, 12, mm. not 2, 3. Right. If you can't make a business proposition work at 2 or 3% interest, so you pay 1 or 2 points over that which is the vigorous or the interest that they get for you ought to swallow. And I'm only mean this metaphorically kids. You ought to swallow a fucking revolver. <sighs> wow. Strong okay. words. Because now if you can't make money now, you ought to jump in front of a bus. Now, when you go and do these seminars, like for I only that- give them at the council. I don't give seminars around the world anymore. I stopped that in 2000 uh, the, when the, uh, the century changed. But you just did this speech oh, for no. this guy, right? Oh, no, a two-hour right? speech. That's not, not a seminar? Then, uh, no, no, it's not a, I'm just okay. doing it as, uh, uh, I guess they'd call it a solid. Okay. Is that, is that the right word? A solid? You're doing a solid? Yeah, is that, okay. does that yeah, mean yeah, a yeah. favor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm yeah. doing a favor for the guy. But so the seminars are only at the castle. Like Correct. People have to come to your castle. Correct. And when they do, like, what do you, what do you work on them? What do well, you, uh, they fill out about 120 pages of copious paperwork on them, psychological profiles, and a bunch of other stuff. And do you have someone go over that, or do you go I over go that? Personally. I and personally. how many people do you do this with? 20 to 24 per seminar. Wow. And how long? How many days is a seminar? Uh, eight. Eight days. So the first and thing they do- you have to dress do, in a suit. You have to dress in a suit. In a suit. And Damn. you have to- uh, the starts at eight in the morning and goes till midnight. Jesus Christ. So you're basically going to sleep, getting up, going to work again. Correct. For eight days. Correct. Wow. And um, they can't use, I have two gymnasiums at the castle, but they can't use a gymnasium unless they earn it. You have to earn it. Yeah. You, in other words, you have to show me something that you got a, a more than a, a, a jellyfish brain. Hmm. The last two seminars didn't have any gym time. No gym time. No. Hmm. No gym time. So they just didn't earn it. Yeah, they didn't earn it. And wow. we had only about half of them cried the last seminar. Only half? Only half. How come? Um, the others maybe had a pair. I don't know. <laughs> when they cry, what are they crying from? Uh, the buttons, the emotional buttons. We have two bank accounts in life. You as well. Okay. You as well. We have an emotional bank account and a financial bank account. Okay. Most people are not successful, not because they run out of their financial bank account. They're not successful because they run out of the emotional bank account. Huh. Interesting. How so? 
Okay, I'll, I'll explain a little uh, um, addition to that. People come to me for either they're inspired or desperate. Even the few people that think they're inspired aren't. They're desperate. I'm the last. I'm the last town saloon. You have tried Tony, uh, Grant Cardone, Jay Abraham. You've tried every motherfucker that walks that tells you it's easy to be successful. I tell you just the opposite. It's a motherfucker to be successful. And uh, so when you come to me and I uh, look through your psychological profile and I measure you day by day, uh, sitting there uh, for 14, 16 hours a day, um, then you have one hour private time with me and I go through this, um, you know, why you're really here. I ask you, what's the most defining moment in your life up to today? I mean, coming here. What's the most defining moment for your siblings? What's the most defining moment of um, your parents? Uh, Why do you think it's defining? Oh, my dad got out of jail for the last time, uh, you know. Okay. We've had convicted murderers at the seminar. Convicted murderers. I did their time, you know. As long as you're not an obvious, and I'll get in trouble for this, obvious um, uh, cross-dresser, <gasps> you can come to the but seminar. What if you're like a non-obvious cross-dresser? Well, I mean, if you wear your regular clothes, you should be wearing. In other words, if you're a man dressed like a woman, right. you got to dress like a man. But what if you're a man who really looks like a woman and he's dressed like a woman? Well, then if you we don't know it, I, I, I don't, I don't see him naked. You know. Okay, as long as you don't see him naked. Yeah, yeah. As long as, you know. I understand. You just don't want any disruptions. Correct. You don't need any aberrations, anything that's weird that gets in the way of the, what you're it's trying to do. It's going to be weird anyway. Right. I mean, when, right. you, when you see grown men Cry. Uh, bigger than me sobbing uncontrollably, and, I mean. But what causes them to, this emotional bank account that you were talking about? Okay, you have a financial okay, bank account okay, and okay, emotional okay, bank account. Okay, I'll give you an example. Okay. Um, a guy who uh, was raised in a whorehouse. His mom is a whore. He knew that his mom was a whore since he's a six, seven, eight. He still lives in the whorehouse. How old is he? 26. Jesus Christ. How old is his mom? 50, I think 50. Now, is she like oil or just like I've never price met her. keeps I don't know. going down per gallon? Uh, I don't know, but she's the madam now. Oh, you know, I see. She's not servicing too many. That's items. crazy. And he lives there? Yeah. Jesus Christ. Now, what kind of baggage do you think that kid has? Oh, he's fucked. Yeah. Yep. It's hard. And what was the worst thing you ever saw your mother do? He, you know, tears are streaming down his cheeks. And I go, he goes, um, there's too many to count, Mr. Pena. Do you think about it every night? He says, yes. How did you know, Mr. Pena? How do you not know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And he's successful, the little shit. Is he? Yeah. What's he do? Uh, He's uh, an engineer. He's, uh, He's rolling up small engineering firms. Wow. That's a hard way to grow up, man. Yep. But, I mean, if love got the job done, we'd have a perfect world now. We'd have no wars if love got the job done. Right. Love doesn't get the fucking job done. What does get the job done? Pulling the trigger, taking action, following your dream. So, when you have these guys crying, you're just sort of exposing to them what emotional... 
baggage they're carrying around with them that's hindering their professional life? Correct. Well, that amongst a bunch of other stuff, yeah. But that's kind of a, could be a, a good summary. So by this eight-day pressure cooker that you put these guys through, when you're making them work all day for eight days in a row, you, you essentially like establish, like, this is what it's like to try to be successful. You to, have no, to fucking No, no, not just be successful. To be, to be high performance. My market is to turn people into the top... Let's just say the 7 billion people on the planet. Right. My market is 700,000. You want to be one of those 700,000 high-performance individuals, you come and see me. I want to go right now. Okay. I'm not even now, a businessman. Now, now, oh, now la- la- last week, the week before last, we made just three announcements of three of our guys. One guy who is a monkey, looks like a, you know, you were talking about chimpanzees? Yeah. He looks like a chimpanzee. He did a billion-dollar deal with Goldman Sachs. Whoa. He couldn't spell Goldman Sachs or billion. And he did a billion dollar deal. And he, he actually looks like a chimpanzee. He's like a, like a okay. Short Another guy, guy. Uh, did a hundred eighty one million dollar deal. An Australian. He weighs uh, two hundred kilos. That's a lot. That's a big fucker. Big fucker. During that's the, like four hundred pounds. Isn't yeah, four hundred forty pounds. During the graduate uh, during during the Ooh. graduation on um, we go we went to uh, Edinburgh for New Year's Eve. Uh, he got stuck in he got stuck in the. Uh, in the toilet, in the bus. He got stuck. He couldn't get out. Yeah. How'd you get him out? Grease I wasn't there. My wife said, why aren't we going on the bus with him? Oh, I said, Jesus. because shit's going to happen and I don't want to be there. <laughs> Literally. And, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And uh, another guy, now get this. He had a closing. Um, he came to me when he was 17 years old. He had a closing in Washington, D.C. Uh, a few days ago when Sally and I were there. When you close a financial deal, you have to have two sources of ID now because of money laundering, etc. He had a passport. His second source of ID was a driver's permit because he's not old enough to have a driver's license. He had a driver's permit and a passport. He did a $3 million deal. Jesus. He's a teenager. The reason why teenagers do better is because they have less baggage. Uh, That makes sense. They haven't mm. had as much life wearing them down. They're not as much scar tissue. Got yeah. some scar tissue. Scar tissue. That's real shit, right? Now, if you take a kid 18 that's got a f- physical attributes, you can train him into being an MA guy probably easier than you take a 38-year-old. For 100%. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's almost <laughs> impossible. Yeah. Well, unless they're a super freak athlete that's been involved in something See, very physical. Speaking of super freak athletes, the, the black guy, Jones. John Jones? Yeah. yeah. Is he still around? Yeah, sure. Yeah. He, he, somebody broke, no, he's not the guy that got a broken leg. That no, was, that's Anderson Silva. Yeah, yeah. Anderson Silva okay, broke his leg. Okay, but didn't Jones finally get beat? Jones has never lost. Okay. The only time he lost was he was disqualified in a fight against Matt Hamill where he was dropping... It's a really stupid rule, but you're not allowed when you're uh, on top of a guy to oh, drop yeah. an elbow from the 12 to 6 position. Yeah, okay. So he got disqualified, but he beat the fuck out of that guy. But he's still and around. Wound up lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's on the suspension right now for testing positive for a uh, banned substance. Right. And De Silva came back. Anderson Silva came oh, that back. That broken yeah. leg, I remember seeing that. Yeah. Jesus Christ. That was terrible. That's one of two broken legs I've ever seen like that live. I've seen him on videos before, but being there live. Can you hear it snap? I did not hear it snap, but I saw it give out, and I saw him fall down, and I knew it what it was. The first time I'd ever seen it was a guy named Corey Hill. He threw this kick, and the same thing. His leg, his kick got checked, and his legs just snapped out from under him. And that time, the, the referee didn't see it. The referee didn't know the guy had a broken leg, and we were screaming at the referee to stop the fight. It was. Yeah. Uh, I was at uh, Mike Tyson's uh, when he won the championship 
in Vegas. Oh, really? Wow. And I was in the third row, and uh, De Niro and a bunch of the uh, Italian guys were behind me, DeVito. And he was, well, he, the guy that lost, that he beat, looked like he was going to lose. He looked afraid of Tyson. Yeah. And, but Tyson was hitting with such velocity, the perspiration on the guy's head was flying over the first two rows onto me in the third <laughs> row. I mean, he was hitting like with a sledgehammer. Yeah, when he was in his prime, he was something special. He really was. There's a really interesting article I just read about him in Sports Illustrated. It's, it's fascinating seeing him now at 50 years old, you know, family man, doing his Vegas show. and I bet you can still hit. Oh, fuck yeah. There was a video of him hitting the bag. Still terrifying. I mean, he's still Mike Tyson. Yeah. yeah. And one of the greatest boxers of all time. The, the most fearsome heavyweight that ever lived. In his prime, there was nobody like him. Yeah, I was on, uh, on a concord with uh, Muhammad Ali uh, and um, the... Uh, and he had his uh, Angelo Dundee. Is that the guy? He had mm-hmm. his entourage yep. with him. Yeah. And uh, the uh, he was a very nice man. Very nice. Uh, I only met him that one time. And uh, that's not true. I was in the Cotton Club in 1978. Cotton Club, black nightclub used to be. And um, the uh, there was a black comedian, and I was trying to uh, read uh, Red Fox. Red Fox. Mm. And I'm the only white guy in the audience. Whoa. And he said something about white people. So I had been tuned up pretty good. And back in 78, I thought it was pretty tough. I stood up and I said something back to him. Now, this went over like a turd in a punch bowl. I mean, all these people that are around me, all the color of Fox. And so Fox is, hey, you don't want to come up here. And so I go. And then Muhammad Ali was sitting about six tables over. And he protected me. He said, we got to let this white boy alone. I mean, we don't want a problem here. So then I say, well, uh, you don't have to protect me. I just was an idiot. Just a silly young man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I try to pay the bill, and Muhammad Ali says, no, your money's not good here. Your money's not good here. And they kicked you out? Oh, no. Yeah, they didn't, not forcibly, but... But they yeah, essentially yeah, let yeah, you know, yeah. tonight's over. Yeah, the night's Take over. Take care, get out of here with your life. <laughs> You're correct, correct. But anyway, so, uh, but um, yeah, I had a big mouth. Listen, Dan Pena, you've lived a very interesting life. Thank you. You really have. And uh, so if people want to <laughs> learn more about your stuff, and uh, if anybody ever wants to go to the castle and go through this uh, crazy eight-day seminar, how do they get in touch with you? Dan, danpena.com. All right, and it's Dan S. Pena is your Twitter handle, and I put it up on my Twitter. Yeah, or, or Google $50 billion man. All right, buddy. Because I've created $50 billion for guys just like you, Joe. Just like me? Yeah. All right. Well, appreciate you doing that. Well. Appreciate you coming on here, too. It was a pleasure meeting Thank you. you. My, my, my pleasure. Thank you very much. All right. Okay. That's it, folks. We'll be back on uh, Sunday. We're not going to be here Saturday, but we're going to do a recap of the fights. We're going to watch them on Sunday. So see you then. Bye. Thank you, everybody, for tuning into the podcast. And thank you to our sponsors. Thanks to Caveman Coffee. Go to cavemancoffeeco.com. Use the code word ROGAN and you'll save 10% off of any of the delicious coffee that I'm drinking right now out of this Caveman Coffee mug. Hear that? That's a Caveman Coffee mug. And hit up. Mm. Deliciousness. Drinking it black. Note the lack of hums today. When you drink it black, you don't get the throat clearing. I guess that shit is just not good for podcast. It's really kind of a bummer. That coffee with MCT oil and grass-fed butter, which I love. It's a delicious way to start your day. Not the best thing to drink just before you start talking into a microphone. Especially when you're already a marble mouth fuck like me. 
Anyway, cavemancoffeeco.com. Use the code word Rogan. Save 10%. Thank you to Casper. Casper, online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. Go to casper.com forward slash Joe and use the promo code Joe to get $50 towards any mattress purchase. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you also to Movement Watches. Excellent, stylish watches at a fraction of what you would pay in any sort of retail environment. Go to mvmtwatches.com forward slash Rogan and get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns. That's mvmtwatches.com forward slash Rogan. And of course, we're brought to you each and every episode by onnit.com. Go to O-N-N-I-T, use the code word Rogan, and save 10% off any and all supplements. All right, that's it for today. We'll be back on Sunday. We're not going to be back for the fights on Saturday, but we're going to watch the fights together on Sunday. It's probably going to be one of those things where we wind up watching them beforehand anyway and no but it'll be a good time anyway and it'll be brian and brendan and me and maybe eddie i don't know if Eddie's here he might be uh with the illuminati i heard they've uh, captured him we'll see you thank you much love bye